podcast tonight we're going to talk about idea sniping and other forms of gatekeeping in fandom um recently uh we've been having a big discussion about uh gatekeeping because of the 911 fandom and but gate but gatekeeping isn't new in fandom it's not even new in social groups i, I but there's a there's a level of toxicity online when it comes to gatekeeping that is really difficult and stressful and hurtful. When I, in 2008-ish, I think that's when I published The Awakening, I had a really um, harsh experience with, with gatekeeping. Uh, and over the years that I've been in fandom, um, the gatekeeping has come and gone from my fandom experience. And often the more harsh I am with gatekeepers, the harder it is when they come back because it's, I don't like to be told what to do with my stuff. Right. Honestly, any of my stuff. I just like this is my stuff. You, period. Right. Go, yeah. Go, I have go sit over there. Fuck you. <laughs> Right. No, but that's, no, but that's the waiting room. Oh, okay. I'll, all right, I'll go sit over there. <laughs> it's like, don't touch my stuff. Don't try to be in charge of my stuff. <laughs> say thank you and I'll let you see my stuff. <laughs> Across the board. Just say thank you. Just say thank you. Because <laughs> it's so rude. <clears throat> but, and I have actually beaten this, this, this horse skeleton more than once when it comes to the Sentinel, but it is germane to the conversation. So I'm going to do a quick overview. I wrote the awakening because I was really enamored with the Sentinel fandom and the Sentinel fanon, not the actual show. Um, I was enamored with the idea of guides and empathy and supernatural connections and just the idea of spirit guides and bonds, bonds, I love bonds, 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 mystical um, connection between two people who love each other that have never even met yet. It's just, it was beautiful. I really, really loved it. And so I was in love with the Sentinel. I was in love with the, with the idea that I, that I had, I actually plotted three more novels to go with the awakening. Um, I had an iffy beta experience with the awakening because um, I sent it to two different people and one of them shared my rough draft. Well, not my rough drafts. My, it wasn't Lady Holder. One of them shared my, my, my beta draft with her friends that is so gross and i was appalled yeah dishonor on her cow totally uh and it was like i and the other beta was lady holder and this is a really interesting story i had read the unlikely and the unwilling on wraithbait and i was also really enamored with that because it was the sentinel and stargate so that was like all up in my wheelhouse y'all it took me the better part of six months to connect the writer on Wraithbait with the lady doing my beta. Your obliviousness is cute. Because I, sometimes I don't look at authors' names. 
And that's even better now that I have this AO3 plugin where I can ban authors' works from my site. <laughs> I just so sometimes writers' names just fall out of my brain. <coughs> Anyways, that's a separate thing. So the Sentinel. I um I published the Awakening, Awakening, and I got really great reader response. Readers were really on board with it. I got some really awesome feedback. I don't remember moderating a single comment on my fic that was bad. There might have been like one or two like, oh, you missed a comma or something, which is not the same thing as, oh, you're shitty. This is horrible. I can't believe you wrote this. You know, which happens. Um, How dare you enter our fandom space? This was our sanctuary right? and you have defiled it. And then readers started nominating me for these awards. It was called um, Light My Fire. Light My Fire. It was Light My Fire Awards. Um, and I was nominated um, um, across several categories. And the organizers contacted me and asked me to pick which categories I wanted my work to be in. Which, which ones I thought it was best. Because I was nominated across like five or six categories. I don't really remember the number but i was asked to pick like two or three i don't remember um but what i do know is that i won in every category i picked every how many that was uh and after the awards were announced i was lambasted. I, I was i said that word lambasted lambasted yeah lambasted it was awful and looking back on it it was probably two or three people yes the sock puppet accounts that these people tend to have but because the language was kind of similar across all of it. Um, they were mad that I, as a new author in the fandom, was even in the uh, the awards, even though one of them was actually for new authors. One of the awards was. Um, they were mad ab about how I portrayed Blair Sandberg uh, and how I had violated the fanon characterization of Blair. Um, and insulted their ancestors and shit. Um, and it was awful. And, I'll, and more than one email directly told me I had ruined the last year of the Light My Fire Awards. And it boils down to the fact that I didn't write Blair as a girl with a dick. How dare you? And not even a badass girl with a dick. <laughs> Just because that's not what they wanted. They wanted a weak, damsel in distress Blair. <coughs> who barely <coughs> who barely functioned without Jim. Instead, I wrote a character who was very successful in his own right, who hadn't sacrificed his PhD for Jim Ellison, who was confident and powerful. Well, he he charted his own path until he met his sentinel. He was not just like, you know, Sitting sitting in a schoolyard somewhere with a hope chest waiting for a sentinel to come along. <laughs> with a hope chest. Anyway, they were deeply offended by my um my characterization of of Blair and they let they, they let it be known. And there was one of them in particular who repeatedly claimed that they were a BNF in the fandom and how I wasn't welcome because I couldn't adhere to the established fanning characterization of Blair Sandberg. And the thing is, the, fun, the funny thing about that is, I, 
I had read a lot in the in the Sentinel fandom at one point, and there were several authors who wrote Blair as very strong and very assertive, um, and I really enjoyed. And they had a lot of works, sometimes a lot of big works. And I don't know if I mean, the thing is, I never paid much attention to awards, so I don't know if they were passed over for these award things, if they were just flying under the radar, or what. But I mean, certainly there was a big segment of the fandom that really liked that thing, that interpretation of Blair. Um, and we're pushing it, but there were also other, there were, it, it wasn't like it was the only voice out there. So if they had managed to get their awards down to mostly that interpretation of Blair, then they had done a really, really exceptional job of gatekeeping um, up to that point. Because there was already really good Blair stories out there. They, they were different than The Awakening because you had, you went a very different direction with Blair being not in Cascade and going his own direction and that kind of thing. I'm talking about like more canon settings for Blair. Mm-hmm. So they weren't like Sentinel AUs. They were like Sentinels are known AUs. They were more like canon um, divergent stories. But Blair would be very strong and assertive and he was Jim's partner, not Jim's doormat. Pet. Yeah, or pet. But it could be that they had managed to subdue those people being um, acknowledged. Um. <clears throat> One of the problems was is that I was very new to fandom. How dare you come into a, a fandom, a n- new to fandom? Well, did, where do they think that they're going to do? Just round up writers in the first year and then that's all that ever gets to write in the fandom? Well, unfortunately, behavior like that is the reason not only that they have a dead canon, but they have a dead fandom. Yeah, in, in anything that's in the canon universe, yeah. I mean, the only thing that kind of... Sentinel will continue to survive because people like this fusion of it. But outside of Sentinel fusions, who who writes actual I mean, Sentinel I, anymore? It's been a long time since I've seen a, a big new Sentinel work. Just just pure Sentinel. Novel length uh, on AO3? No. It's been a while. Uh, and it's that kind of gatekeeping behavior that causes it. Now, the thing is, is because because of this behavior and because I was new to fandom and also I wasn't used to readers having this kind of access to me. And I also wasn't used to the idea of other writers treating me this way because I published professionally in my, in my twenties, I belonged to large writer groups. I participated in writing workshops. Eventually I ran writing workshops in the university environment and speaking of which, they recently asked me to do another one. And I was like, no, I'm done with that. But anyway, <laughs> I do not want teaching to another group of 20 something writers that they're not going to make it in the world as a writer. And then they need to get They need to get a real job. Um, I told the professor, I said, you should, whoever does this seminar for you, you should have them title it. You're not JK Rowling. But anyways, well, I hope they aren't for several reasons. But anyways, <clears throat> I digressed. <laughs> but she digressed. I love a good third person digression. I have not read the essay about the Tangled Destinies. All I ever saw was the accusation in a comment on Live Journal, and I don't want a link to the essay. Um, that horror can suck my dick. Okay, but you know, because I was new to all this interaction that was taking place in a very negative way, I backed away from Sentinel so fast, I I fell over. I mean, it, it was just like, n- no, 
no, I am not participating in this. So I shelved every single work in progress for the Sentinel that I had. Um, and funneled all that energy into Stargate. And eventually, my interest in the Sentinel led to me working on the Sentinels of Atlantis. Because I had that, I, I was inspired to write it because of what Lady Holder had written in The Unlikely and the Unwilling. Um, but the Sentinel really messed me up. And so I was had been pushing it aside for a while. And then I came back to it because I really, I'm really enamored with the Fanon. Um, but the Phantom can suck my dick. Even today. And not a single one of my Sentinel works would have been any less than 100k. Because I didn't have any short ideas. I Even now, I probably couldn't come up with a short idea for the Sentinel. Um, and that and their gatekeeping and their abuse is the reason that those, those books never got written. And never will be written. But idea sniping. Give you an example of idea sniping. You come into a writing chat and you're talking about this idea you have and how excited you are, and you're thinking about your plot points and your themes. And then some asshole comes along and gives you six or seven links to people who've already written your idea. I'll give you another example you write your story in private, you're really proud of it. You spent three or four months writing and editing. You got 50K and you're just in love with it, right? You're in love with it. You post it on AO3 and every comment is like, oh, hey, did you read this? Did you read this? You should have done this and you should have done that. And I really don't like your characterization of this person. And why'd you put dragons in this? <laughs> why, are there, why are there dragons in your story about dragons? Dragons. <laughs> This would be so much better if there were no dragons. <laughs> but, and this happens a lot in fandom. Where either your idea is torn apart. Your idea is compared to others before you ever get a chance to write it and found lacking. The other side of it is, is the intruders. Who, you talk about your idea in the chat and then you get private messages or even messages out in front where people are... Giving you, giving you their thoughts and their wishes and desires for your idea. Then they start plotting your idea for you. And sometimes your idea turns into a giant crack fest right before your eyes. And you're like, what in and the And it world? is so disheartening. It's, it's awful. Yeah. The thing about sometimes... And the only thing like, worse than a crack fest... Okay. Well, sometimes when you... There's, there is another, I think, motive sometimes when you mention an idea and somebody goes, here are all the stories that are just like what you just said, which is that they think they're being helpful. And it's like, that actually isn't helpful. Because if I'm, if I have an idea, we've, we've talked about two people can conceive very, very similar ideas completely independently. I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't remember what the context of the podcast was. Um, what we were, what, what the, what the, what the theme, I don't even remember which podcast it was, but two different people contacted me within minutes of each other about an idea they'd had from what we talked about that was based upon what we talked about and could they run with it? And it was so far off of both ideas were so far off of what we talked about. But the funny thing is, it's the two ideas that were based on what we talked about that I really didn't have any bearing on what we talked about were exactly like each other. They were so close as to be not like sisters, but like twin sisters. It was freaky. Same fandom. And the thing is, it was a fandom you and I don't write in. So that's why it was even weirder because the extrapolation was because you, you and I have never plotted anything for Highlander in our life. No. 
So I don't even read Highlander crossovers. I don't. I've I've read a Highlander crossover occasionally with Buffy back when my Buffy reading days, but it was just so weird that something we talked about inspired two people completely independently to plot almost identical Highlander stories and say, "Can I run with this?" And I was like, "Huh." And so it was this weird moment. I, mean, I know that can happen. I know very similar ideas can evolve organically at the same, sometimes same, same time, sometimes different times and be very similar and have been complete conceived very separately, independently and have no bearing on one another. But people always assume they have this thought that they're completely original. And so when they see this idea that's similar to theirs, they just assume that this person stole from them, which is, you know. A little weird crazy um it might have been that was the psionic plane podcast was such a hot <sighs> mess <laughs> it could have been but i think it was further back than that but i mean i i can't think of any podcast we did that was more of a hot mess in terms of i mean well, that's that time we realized that we really can't plot back from the cave no we really and we we really shouldn't we can but we really shouldn't <laughs> We might as well just start with a whole. The Traducan was the biggest uh, derailment, but the um, the psionic plane one was where we discovered, you know, that yeah, you definitely don't want us re reimagining the universe. Yeah, it's that is the time idea. that we, we replotted world history. Yeah, no, since way before the cave, we went back to like <sighs> I don't remember how far back we went. We picked some natural disaster in world history. That was way back and decided to yeah. replot world history from that point forward. It was a hot mess. Um, we got some good ideas out of it, but it was still a hot mess. Um, the psionic rift thing did come up. The thing we came up with the psionic rift did come up in other other places. But anyway, people always assume that they're completely original when they come up with an idea. Not willing to consider that that idea might already have been completely written. But anyway, so when sometimes when you when you when you say when you're talking about an idea. People be like, oh, you might be able to find. And the thing is, they think they're helping you because you might be able to flesh out your idea by reading these other things that are similar. And it's like, wow, you're not a writer, I can tell, because that is not how writers flesh out their ideas. That's how plagiarists flesh out their ideas. Right? <laughs> writers don't flesh out their ideas by going and reading stories that are similar to help fill in the blanks. That's not the way that works. So people, people who aren't writers think that they're being helpful by flinging stories that are similar to your idea at you um, so that you can find inspiration or something. And that's not the way I work. I, and also there comes this point where like if someone's giving you links to work you've already written, you start to think, are they accusing me of plagiarism? Yeah. I also avoid dark reading in the vein of what I'm trying to write because I don't want my plotting to be influenced by what somebody else has written. I mean, it's one thing to be inspired by something somebody else has written. Like I read something and I go, oh, oh, like um, uh, the Hoyden. And I go, oh, we, we, we did a whole podcast plotting wish babies. I, I'm, I don't know that the Hoyden um, was the first person to do a wish baby. I kind of doubt it but that's certainly the person who inspired me to want to write about wish babies i want to write about a baby showing up in a basket <laughs> um and again abigail we, we we really did want to know where babies came from right you have exactly her. but i wouldn't sit down if i were plotting a wish baby story and reread with a crown of stars to 
get my inspiration because to get my plot points because that would be but people I think people think that that's the way the some people not all people some people think that's the way the writing process works is that you go read similar works and get your inspiration uh-uh. crazy cakes see that's adorable <laughs> but um it's yeah but we know people do run around fandom and take your ideas and write them yeah Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've had ideas. The thing is, I'm never averse to people writing something that I've talked about on the podcast. Um, if you're if you're inspired by something, but I would certainly prefer that people not literally take what we've talked about on the podcast and write it beat for beat. Because sometimes we get really in depth with plotting something, and unless you talk to me or talk to Kira and say, "Hey, is it okay if I write this exact thing that you plotted?" It's a little squiffy to write the exact. But that has happened. But also, having somebody write an idea out from underneath me before I can write it, when I really want to write it, is really disheartening. Yeah. I've I've become careful, more careful about talking about my rough trade works because um, that has happened to me where I've talked about something I'm working, like I'm about to write, um, and somebody writes it ahead of me. Now, it's happened more than once. Now, one time I went forward and wrote the idea anyway. But I have never quite gotten over the fact that somebody got that idea out before I did. Um, but there have been times I've changed what I was going to write for Rough Trade because somebody wrote it out wrote it out from under me. So it's more common now if I am working on something for Rough Trade, unless except for casual mentions, like if I'm going to do detailed plotting, like that's why we did these small hours in a conversation that was released later was because I didn't want to have to worry about somebody writing that plot out from under me and the thing is part of me is like i've got the receipts to show this was my idea first right so i could go forward and feel confident that my idea is going to be expressed differently than theirs and whatever um it's more it's demoralizing a little bit and sometimes i just don't want to deal with the emotion sometimes i don't care but sometimes i don't want to deal with the emotional fallout of it um but yeah i recognize there is a an element of the idea sniping where people are sending me links to stories that are similar to what I've said that is well-intentioned, but it's usually not helpful. And sometimes it feels like I'm awful. I am a hundred percent on board with writing spite fic, but sometimes when somebody writes an idea out from underneath me, it feels like spite. Yeah. It feels like we're upmanship. And depending on the idea, me going forward with the idea would be me writing spite fic and some ideas are just not emotionally gonna do well for me as spite fic so you know and it also depends on my frame of mind there's a lot of stuff that goes into what my writing experience is going to be um so yeah i mean the one the one idea that i went forward with that was kind of written out from underneath me um i don't think that that's that the the person who sort of put that out there i don't think it was it's publicly available anymore. Um, and I'm not going to record on the podcast which which story it was. But it was like literally days before the start of Rough Trade that this story, it kind of hit as a preview. And I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's available anymore. But the story in question was, and so I almost didn't write it. That would really have hurt my feelings. It would have hurt my feelings too, but I was so enamored with the idea that I went ahead and went forward with it, even though I was really kind of uh, like deeply upset at the beginning of Rough Trade about the concepts from that story being um, 
used because I had talked about them publicly on a podcast. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> you definitely need to save that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I especially like that it's on a little garden, you know? <laughs> it's very, it's very, uh, it's very, it, it looks very sweet <laughs> despite the content. <laughs> it's like, it's like Barbie's first, you know, brood meme. <laughs> Barbie's first brood meme. <laughs> yeah, it literally, this preview of this other person's story hit like days before Rough Trade. And, um, I was just flabbergasted. So, um, but I decided I was so enamored with the idea for the story. I was going to go ahead and go forward with it. Even though I was really kind of like, my feelings were hurt. Um, and I'm <laughs> glad I did. I'm glad I did. Cause it is one of my favorites of my own works, but, um, but yeah, sometimes. <clears throat> so it's that, that experience has made me a little bit more cautious about like, if I'm really enamored with an idea, I'm a little bit more cautious about talking about it. Um, ahead of time, you know, in, pu in public, because it's like, I, in some things, you know, I plot, I plot a lot of stuff and kind of my general ideas, if it inspires you, cool. It, attribution for it, it, for being the inspiration source is helpful. That way I don't have to hear about how you, you sniped our idea from the podcast. Cause I will, or Kira will, or whatever. Um, but, um, but when I'm talking about something that's my rough trade project, I certainly don't expect somebody to go and write that out from underneath me. My husband tells me I shouldn't say suck my dick because I sound like a 12-year-old girl. No, you sound more like a 16-year-old girl. He hasn't talked to Senna, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we need Senna to record suck my dick and like let him hear it. Go, This is what an adult who sounds like a 12-year-old girl sounds like saying suck my dick. <laughs> so he'll know the difference? Well, I want to, I just so he, he can be appropriately traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> Because the first time Senna said to me, cock juggling thunder cunt, I just kind of like cringed down in my chair and said, please don't say that again. <laughs> I mean, type it, but don't say it. But, uh, yeah, you know, we can talk about that whole two cake theory and the toxic shit that comes out of that in fandom. Yeah, I mean, there is that idea that some people have that they just, and the thing is, they do it so they don't have to be, they have... They have this mentality so that they themselves don't have to be creative, which is that it's, it's, you know, it's better to have two cakes than one. So if somebody has an idea and two people write it, well, aren't you happy that two people wrote this idea? Except they're not really having that. This is what's happened. When two cakes spontaneously show up at a party and neither one knew about the other, that's, that's two cakes are great. When one person busts their ass and makes a really beautiful cake, then someone comes around, comes along, takes pictures of it from every single fucking angle, steals the recipe, <laughs> goes home, makes their cake, and brings it back to the party. That's not two cakes. That's one cake and an asshole. Copy cake. <laughs> it's copy. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. And the but fact of the matter is, is, I don't want to read a carbon copy of somebody else's work. You Realistically speaking, two people can have the same idea, but the execution is not going to be the same. It should be the same. And there are people who will walk around with this idea that two cakes are better than one, and they'll use it like a bludgeon. Like, if you object to them, 
you know, sniping an idea that it's, they'll go, oh, well, two cakes are better than one. It's like, but I plotted this whole thing in front of you. Um, and the other thing is also if two people are two, if it's going to be deliberately two people writing from the same idea, it should be agreed on in advance. Like Kira and I have done that. And that's called a prompt where you right? take, where you take the same prompt and you agree to go forth. And sometimes, as we demonstrated, sometimes the ideas are very similar and sometimes the ideas, what the, what the execution winds up super similar and sometimes the execution is very disparate because it depends upon how specific the prompt is. I mean, there was that one instance with the Tony Ian Edgerton story where somebody was looking for it on LiveJournal and I couldn't tell from the description if they're looking for yours or mine because the front half of the stories are similar enough. <laughs> it's like it's like okay well did it have an angsty ending or a sex ending because that will tell me which story it is i wrote the sexy ending <laughs> i wrote the angsty ending <laughs> but we both went to the same place for the front half of the story which was completely unexpected because it's not like we compared notes and we made a point of not showing each other the stories until the other person had completed their draft so that would be the Tony Dinozo Ian Edgerton story. Um, from the one sentence prompts. I'm sure somebody. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, I wrote sexy and she wrote angsty. But we had a whole bunch of them. Yeah, we did a whole bunch of them. Lady Holder participated in some of them too. Yeah. On my site, they're under my in short under the tab called one sentence. Oh, uh, yeah, mine was called daring. <laughs> Sorry. So. But sometimes our approach to the one-sentence prompts were wildly di different. Um, our approach um, to the... Bless you. Thanks. To the... um my sneezing in the chat. That's just how I sneeze. To the one with John. Um, the, the art that has John with the, with the panther. Mm -hmm. We both went in quite different directions with that one. And that one was actually really hard because she was angsting about a plot point that I had solved. Yeah. And I was like, I really want to tell her what I did. But that was not the point of the challenge. It's like, I can tell you how to solve this. And actually, the funny thing about Axiom and um, Daring is our word counts are almost the same. I had 4,500 words and you had 4,800. So, you know, I think I could have written a blowjob in 300 words. <laughs> but... <laughs> fundamentally they have the same prompt but they're not the same story yeah which is Our like you know honestly when when two cakes show up at a party they're they're not the same damn cake if 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 an if a um if 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 the host says i want you i, I want everybody to show up with a chocolate cake and that's the 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 end of the specifics and two people show up with chocolate cakes they should be quite different because chocolate cake with what? What kind of icing? What kind of filling? And technically, red velvet is a type of chocolate cake. Did one person For me, decide to I, I mean, be edgy? I would show up red velvet. Mm, I would love that. I would show up with probably a devil's food and a fudge icing because I like devil food cake. I see. Somebody a told lot. me chocolate cake. They're going to get German chocolate because that's my favorite. I really enjoy German chocolate cake too. I love coconut. Oh, frog! That was really aggressive. Oh, mocha. I love mocha anything. Is the issue frog the the coconut? Usually with most people who hate German chocolate cake, the issue is coconut. Because chocolate cake is chocolate cake. 
It's the coconut. I knew mm. I've never met a person who had a problem with German chocolate where the issue wasn't the coconut. I really didn't realize just how big the divide was between people who like coconut and people who don't. Because my second favorite cake would just be a coconut cake. And if they could put coconut cake. milk in the actual cake, I'd be even happier. I actually, one of my favorite snacks is just coconut. There's this company that makes just this dried coconut chips mm. and I just didn't eat it. I love coconut. I like to put coconut in my oatmeal cookies. Yeah. My favorite cookie is an oatmeal coconut pecans and chocolate chips. Mm. I think, I think oh, Nick, and, Nick, I think Nick is from another planet. I, I agree. Nikki. I mean, if you, oh, my heart hurts for you, Nick. Anyway, like I said, it, it's usually people hate German, but I, if I were, if somebody said cake, chocolate cake, Kira would have made, you said devil's food and I would have mm -hmm. gone German chocolate. So that's still two very different cakes, very different cakes, even though they're both chocolate <clears throat> cakes. And that's the issue. That's what the difference when you have, when you, when two people decide to decide it is a choice to write from the same prompt, even if the prompt is more specific than what Kira and I did with the one sentence prompts, um, there's, it is still, you, cause you could actually get, I, I've, I've been, at seen situations people give a very, um, um, a very specific prompt. Like, like it's almost like a mini plot and then two people go off and write it. But again, it's a choice, but it is something else entirely when you're talking in a chat room about an idea or something and somebody has this whole two cakes mentality and thinks it's okay to just take your idea and run with it without any credit whatsoever. And then they run with the idea before you get a chance to write it. And they'll only admit that it was your idea first if they're confronted about it. And they act like you're being selfish. And they go, oh, well, two cakes are better than one. Um, okay. <laughs> She's just telling on herself. Someone asked earlier about using coconut milk in cake. Yes, you could use coconut milk in the place of milk or water in a cake recipe. You could also... If you don't want to go that route, you know, make your 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 white or yellow cake traditionally, you could use coconut milk as a soak after the fact to keep it moist. <laughs> use the word. I use the word. Um, instead, instead of like doing a um, what you call it, um, a simple syrup. Oh, simple syrup. Yeah. Your cake, you just use coconut milk instead to wet the layers before you put the icing on. And it will soak that coconut milk down in there and give your cake a coconut flavor that is delicious. Now, since you're going in, like, if you're doing a coconut cake or a German chocolate cake, you're going to put actual coconut in your frosting. So you don't want to put too much of any other kind of liquid in your frosting. You're going to make your, your frosting too loose. But um, you could flavor your icing as well. With either a coconut um, extract or you could also use coconut extract in your cake. That might be better, especially if you get a natural one instead of like an imitation one. Because um, it won't alter the chemical balance of the cake. So it's up to you. <clears throat> so anyways, I use store-bought pie crust because what? I Nobody has time my, for that shit. I usually make my pie crust. Look at you being all Susie Hillmaker and shit. I make my tart crust because tart crust is hard to find in the store. But when it comes to like a, a pie crust, Pillsbury will work just fine. <laughs> but some but here's the problem with idea sniping, whether it's taking somebody's work or running somebody's work into the ground or 
trying to be helpful by pointing out all the people who've already written this idea, but that's not helpful. It creates this mentality where writers don't want to share themselves in, in writing groups. Because if you can't trust people in your writing group not to steal your idea and write it before you can, you're going to stop sharing your idea. And one of the reasons why writing groups are valuable is it allows you to interact with writers on a very different level than you would a reader. But if you can't trust the people in your writing group not to be a dick, then what you, you can't share that way anymore. You lo The process loses value for you. Yeah. And you want to be able to trust the people you're talking to. And acknowledging that you can is really, is really hard. I mean, that you can't, that you, um, that you've chosen to share something that's, you know, actually writing is a very intimate process. And having the product of your own mind devalued by others is some next level shit. And when you take somebody else's idea wholesale, and write it like you own it. You're stealing the product of their of of their own creativity, and that is just gross. What's wrong with you? Or so, and it's not even just. It's also the, the supporting of it, um, because we've seen readers. I mean, the thing is, sometimes you find you've been reading an idea that's a stolen idea. Um, it's a very uncomfortable situation if you were enjoying that thing, where you find out somebody's stolen the idea from somebody. And then you're kind of sitting there going, oh, God. But I always just personally, my policy on that is I back away from it. Because I'm not going to support, an, uh, an, well, it's not even, it's an author. I'm not going to support somebody who is stealing their creative material. Um, it, is, it is, it's kind of like, we've talked about that there's a difference between plagiarism and what, what the, we've talked about what actual plagiarism is. But there is kind of an idea of plagiarism thing that's really hard to kind of identify, um, which is, it's kind of where you are basically stealing somebody's plot, um, even though you're not stealing their execution. And it's it's not quite the same. It's not actual plagiarism, but it's it's ugly. It there and there is a difference, obviously, obviously between like you know plagiarism, idea sniping, and inspiration. It you know, I can say all day long that the unlikely and the unwilling inspired the Sentinels of Atlantis. But I would ask anybody to pick out, to try to pick out parts that look stolen from the work, because that wasn't the point. I like the idea of these two people meeting and not realizing what they had been missing until they found each other. And that was the main theme of the unlikely and the unwilling. And that was the theme that I wanted to explore in Sentinels of Atlantis. Because yeah, you were inspired by a theme, not inspired by um, her actual like beats. Even if you found her beats inspiring, that's not what you were putting into your story. And I wouldn't have set out to take her plot wholesale anyway, because that's not how I function. That's like picking up somebody else's zero draft. I I couldn't do that. You know what? One of the weirdest things I, I saw in fandom when I first got started was stories up for adoption on um, fanfiction.net. Fundamentally, I get why readers would be enamored with the idea of one author adopting another's work. Because that way they get something that maybe will, will, will get completed. 
Although sometimes you'll see a story exchange hands six or seven times on fanfiction.net because the original reason why it was up for adoption is that the first author wrote themselves into a hole. And the authors that came after didn't feel comfortable enough to take, to take ownership of the work and fix the hole. Then you have cases like on AO3 where an author takes a break from fandom, comes back, and some asshole has written a sequel to their work that their readers are really inspired by and are thrilled with. And then when they put out their sequel, the readers get pissed off because it no longer because it makes the stolen insert sequel not canon to the verse that was created. And I'm like, y'all need to sit down and shut the fuck up. I don't care if I write a sequel 20 years after the fact. That's still my shit and I can do that. And I don't care what anybody has claimed to have written after me. I can't even tell you how much I don't care. And one of the reasons why that rule is in my permissions to begin with is so for me to refer back to if someone takes issue with, with it. The worst thing I ever found in my email box, and I do mean the worst, because I've gotten a lot of shit from fandom in my mailbox. It was some asshole telling me they they were going they were going to pick up one of my EAD works and finish it. Not the person who remixed um, Sentinels Atlantis. It wasn't a remix of Sentinels of Atlantis. It was a remix of Ties That Bind. Oh, was it Ties That Bind? Yes, and it was awful. And I had to close it when because it wasn't a it, it wasn't a remix. They took my work copied and pasted it into a Word document and edited it to suit themselves. And they turned it into an abusive, ugly, degrading... They stripped all the romance out of it, and I had to close it when, after Rodney was collared by John, Carter cornered him in a lab and beat him. So whenever I see this author wrecked, I get furious. Have they been wrecked on Crossroads? Absolutely. If you're a Stargate fan, you've probably read one of their works. You probably even enjoyed it. Now, they didn't post the story um, because Kira asked them not to. I did not ask them anything. Here's the thing. Here's what happened. On LiveJournal, I was posting about Ties That Bind, and this person responded and told me that they'd done a remix of Ties That Bind for their own personal use. And um, I said, well, send, send it to me. I want to read it. They did this on purpose. To upset me. I never would have known it existed. If they hadn't pointed it out. And knowing what they did with it. Knowing how ugly it was. They 100% came into my comments. On my own live journal. And teased me with this so-called remix. Which was actually an edited piece of plagiarism. And then enticed me into wanting to read it. I never responded to their email. And they never emailed me again. Which tells me that this person knew 100% damn well what they had done. Oh yeah, they were trying to piss you off. And were probably deeply amused by it. But they've never posted it online. And I think that that's because they wouldn't want the backlash. I can't see it being received well, number one, because it's, it's literally plagiarism. I mean, I can pick out large parts they're literally just my words where they've changed a word here or there to make the connotations ugly and then of course they've changed some scenes but i had to close it before because i couldn't i couldn't take anymore and i was i i threw up to, to be perfectly honest i threw up and i i, I would actually prefer just straight up plagiarism than someone doing a thick assassination 
Yeah, I gotta agree with you there. Now, they also have a history of writing some really ugly slave AUs. So I should have realized that I didn't want to read what they'd done. But I assumed I was getting an actual remix. And a remix would have been like, you know, that Rodney was the dom and that John was submissive. Um, and they would have changed a whole bunch of different things and written their own work around around my plot. That That's what a remix is. A remix is not copying and pasting somebody else's work into a Word document and fucking editing it to make it worse. Ugly. Unless I'm just totally misunderstanding what a remix is. I don't think but so. I don't think I am. I think some people in Stargate, and in, including this one person in the fandom, just resent me um, for a variety of reasons because I don't allow people to intrude on my process. I don't allow them to offer me suggestions or on my plot. I, I have to agree with you. I think it was an act of spite. Well, considering some of the things that they write, Star, I don't think they would have any room to... I mean, if it was somebody who was deeply opposed to BDSM, I would be like, oh, okay, they're just being an asshole. But this person has written some of the darkest shit in Stargate. So, no. Um, but every time I see them get wrecked on Crossroads, I want to delete it. I don't, but I want to. Now, I had a similar... not, not It's a similar but not as bad experience with... It wasn't an intent. I think this person thought they were flattering me as opposed to an act of maliciousness, which does soften it a little bit, even if it was still very frustrating, which was someone had made, they just, I was in the middle of posting the journey home on rough trade. Like I was still in rough trade doing the journey home. It's not like I was like done or something. We were still doing rough trade. It was still being put up and they were talking to me about it in direct messages. And, um, God, I don't even remember. I don't even remember how it came. But they were talking about, you know, wanting to see, you know, like this, you know, how the story could go, like conceptually with some of the ideas and the world building go in a different direction. And, and they made it sound like that they wanted to play with the concepts in the story because there is a lot of world building in the journey home. And um, and I said, oh, well, you should go for it. You know, I, I'm fine with you using my world building. Just, you know, attribute and have fun. I should have been more specific. I should have asked what, what the fuck they were talking about. That what And all of a sudden, the next thing I know is I get a file that is my story word for word for like the first 15 or 16,000 words. And then it diverged. And it went in a very dark and ugly direction. So what it, it was a, it was a dark exploration of Tony reacting differently to what had happened to him in a really and he and it it wasn't just that it was a dark exploration it was making my original characters out to be complicit in mind rape was the way it was couched and tony accused these original characters that i was quite attached to that i liked of being mind rapists and these are the people in the story who were all participating in his healing sessions in my story canon all of a sudden we're all mind rapists and he presents this story to me like see i did a good thing and he told me he was going to post it and where he was going to post it what mind you i'm still publishing this story on rough trade and i said i don't want you to post this and i was like so flabbergasted because i felt partially to blame because i hadn't asked more questions because i thought 
I thought it was really clear he was talking about using the world building and the concepts as opposed to just not your actual damn work not the actual story and then writing a different direction for you know it was like I don't like this point at which you did this so I want to go another way yeah I was still in the middle of rough trade I I mean I probably was like this is a long story I was probably I think Journey Home is about 120k I was probably 80k or so into it so it was well developed and there was, the world building was all pretty apparent I think I know that Jack and Tony I think had already met by the time we had this discussion and I was just like, I, 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 you know, I said, you know, I can't make you do anything. Um, and certainly at the point at which you diverge, this is your own work. But I do not give you my permission to post the stuff that I wrote. And I would respectfully request that you not post this other thing because I feel like it is a negative reflection on what I've written and I just don't support it. He, he, he was... I got a lot of emails about how he was crushed and um, he was so unhappy that he'd made me unhappy and um, that he felt like he'd wasted all this time working on this story and now he couldn't share it with anybody but me. Blah, 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 blah. Nick says he came to you for head pats. I'm going to correct you there, Nick, because I know this person. He did mm -hmm. not come to her for head pats. He came to her for discipline. Yeah. This motherfucker... He, Kira hadn't spanked him enough. Made a habit of doing ugly things to get negative attention from us both. Because he liked to be domed over the internet. And that is 100 shade of the truth. He went out of his way to break rules in our Facebook group so we would punish him. He wrote a fic that was an AU of Ties That Bind and set up Maddie to have his petals removed. Yeah, and I mean, it was... I it got so, so much bullshit emails from him, from, from people reading that story, that I almost felt like I needed to remove it from Rough Trade. And it happened on Rough Trade. This motherfucker had Maddie sanctioned by Lotus and had his petals removed in the middle of my fucking challenge. Yeah, people were people were writing. They were furious. They were upset. It was just, it was... And, and what he wanted was for me to lecture him about it, but I didn't even, I never mentioned it to him. Because at that point, is, I knew I what he was about. And the thing is that he also, the character he had doing this to Maddie is actually a very beloved fandom unicorn, one, you know, fandom, fandom bicycle, one, a character that can be used pretty broadly across multiple shows and movies and stuff, and often was. And, but Kira had no exposure to this character until this story. And now I hate his guts. She hates his guts because of this story. He's one of my favorite characters, so it's deeply unfortunate. It helps that I never watched Buffy because that would make it even worse. But, um, I mean, so, but yeah, this, he was eventually banned from Rough Trade for a different reason. Um, yeah, unre unrelated to any of these shenanigans. But, um, I, but, like, one of my top, probably top three fan fictions of all time has this this character that Kira can't tolerate because of this one fan fiction in it. She's never going to get to read that story. It's deeply unfortunate because it is an exceptional piece of work. I, I hate him. And I understand why. I mean, sometimes the if your first exposure to a character isn't an awful story or the character is portrayed like that, and, and especially considering that he was used to defile 
you know, one of your word babies it was, and, and one of your OCs. And the thing is, the rule, the only rule, rule Kira has really about her, you know, borrowing her OCs or borrowing her concepts is you have to be nice to Matt Shepard. That's like it. Everybody else, you can kind of do what you want, but you have to be nice to Maddie Shepard. Um, and it's because of the, the accidental blowback thing. The, yes, well, the blowback was immense. Yeah. So and, and there's there was an accidental name thing. Um, For those of you so. who don't know who who aren't American and who might not be aware of, of Matt Shepard, the origin the the real Matt Shepard is spelled with one P, um, and he was um, a beautiful young man who, inside and out, um, who was murdered um, because he was gay, and I did not name my character after him. I picked Matthew because the shepherds had named their two sons that were in canon, David and John, which were biblical. So when I was looking through biblical names, Matthew stuck out to me. So I put Matthew in there um, because in that particular verse, when Matthew first appeared, he was Matthew Patrick Shepherd Jr. Um, and so the, a couple of months after Matt was introduced in what might have been, which is where his first appearance is, someone messaged me and told me that it was a beautiful tribute to the to Matt Shepard. And I was like, oh, oh, my. I actually got sick to my stomach that I had done it. I was and so totally an accident going forward. I've I've always made sure to treat the fictional Matt Shepard with a great deal of care and respect because of the inadvertent connection with the real one who was, he was like 19 when, when yeah, he was murdered. He, he was young. He was young. I mean, it's one of the, it, it, it made, we won't get into specifics because for those of you who don't know about it, but cause it's really horrid, but it made national news. It was in the news for a long time. There are still tributes. It's been, it's been a long time. It's been decades, decades. since he was murdered and it's still, um, there are tribute annual you know, tributes. He's, he was 21. So Nick, Nick okay. said he was 21. Okay. Um, so it, it's been, it, it really affected people who were alive at the time and who remember when that hit the news and, and what had happened, it was just really terrible. So, and Boo says he would have been 41 last Thursday, Ugh. but I didn't do it on purpose. Um, but there, but thereafter he was linked to the real one in yeah. a very emotional way. Um, and that link carried in a way into his characterization because um, I, I could never write Matt in a bad light. No, which is, it. so I think you made a change to your permissions page is that do what you want, but you have to treat Matt Shepard nicely. I mean, at least at least to be on your permissions page, mm -hmm. that you had to be nice to Matt Shepard. Um, and yet there was somebody who was not nice and they probably thought they were being nice to Matt. It was not nice. No. I think and people, people considering were really his, what's interesting, considering his history with Eurocs, I don't think so. Yeah, I was unimpressed. He Very clearly didn't want original characters in fandom and fan fiction. So he yeah. abused them every chance he got. And the only way he could do that was to snipe other people's work. But I just remember being so appalled. And I kind of at the time felt like I was to blame for not understanding what this person wanted to do better. But I was, you know, this was my second rough trade challenge, right? So I didn't know anybody. I didn't understand the, the dynamics of this thing. I felt like I had screwed up. And, um, and, but looking back on it, 
no, that I didn't screw up. You know, he, he had misled me about what he was trying to do. Um, because if anybody had ever said, I want to take the first 15,000 words of your work and then diverge and write something dystopian with it, I'd be like, no. Hell no. Hell no. Um, so it was, um, I was kind of like, I was kind of floored. I was kind of devastated. But fortunately for me, he did back off with back off from it, from not from posting that. And the thing is, I've never like run to Kira before. It, or, that, or this was early. Like I said, this was early in my rough trade career, as it were. Um, and I'd never had reason to run to Kira and say, I need your, I need your help, mom. Can you please save me from, you know, internet trolls? But I think if he'd posted that, I think I would have. I'd have been like, please help me. <laughs> <laughs> What is he doing to my story? But that's the kind of bullshit that he did for punishment. Yeah. And when I yeah. realized he was he was using me that way, I was fucking appalled. And you backed off. There was no punishment offered from that point on. Um, yeah. But it does yeah. remind me that recently I was on YouTube doing a, as a spiral as one does. And I ended up on a series of um, videos called the, the Fifty Shades of Grace. Where Grace from 911 doms that guy over. <laughs> the 911 Lone Star, she doms a guy on a call. Yeah. She she <laughs> dom she doms him through dislocating his shoulder, I think. Yeah. And he thanks her for it and tells, tells her it was wonderful, your Grace. And she was like, I didn't feel a thing and hung up. Um <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> But she saved a life by doing that, possibly too. So Grace, Grace does what she's got to do to get the job done. I appreciate that about her. But then I ended up watching the one with the astronaut, and I cried like a baby. Oh, God, the astronaut thing. Oh, my God. I can't even. Oh, my God. I mean, the the whole that whole episode was one of the more ridiculous things I've seen on on that show. And they have Lone Star is like the cracky version of of 911. So if you Mm -hmm. like 911, but you want it kind of cracky, then you want to watch Lone Star. Um, So that episode was particularly cracky. It was just absurd. But that call at the end with the astronaut, fuck me running. I was just crying like a baby. It was awful. Everything else was like, I mean, I did enjoy the TK and Carlos moments um, in that episode because they finally got their shit together. And it was sweet with them lying on the car at the end. But, you know, other than that. Someone said something about the fake pizza, the fake pizza order. Dark, do you know that that's actually based on a true story? I I watched that too. I watched that call on YouTube. Um, pizza order one, which when I'm somewhere. The girl calls in the nine one one trying to order a pizza, and Grace says, "Did you get oh, your number right. wrong?" And she's right. like, "No, I didn't get it wrong. Um, I need." And she and she realizes she's in a right. domestic violence situation, and Grace talks her through jumping out a window to save her own life into a fire. What you call it? Yeah, cushion. They have it set. They have it set up to. Yeah, I remember that. Great. Grace's calls were often the best part of the show. Um. If you prefer Lone Star over the original, it's probably because you prefer because it, it. You know, Kira put a a um a warning on one of her stories, canon level angst on a nine one one story, and I just I hadn't even read the story yet, but I I saw that and I went, oh shit, <laughs> because nine one one is much angstier than Lone Star, so I can see why some people would prefer Lone Star over. I mean, I binge watched the first all the way up to the lawsuit. Um, in 911 and cried for three days straight. But the first time my husband caught me crying, he was re- he was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And then by day three, he's like, would you please stop torturing yourself with the show? I'm like, shut up! Oh my god, Buck's under fire truck! <laughs> Leave me alone! 
I hope he doesn't die. I mean, I knew he didn't, but I was just, a, I was a wreck. <laughs> I was holding my head. <laughs> then the fucking tsunami happened and I was like ugly crying. <laughs> right. But the funny thing is, is the, I remember there was, there was a, there was a mainstream, um, magazine like Newsweek or Snoo something like that that had put out an article with the picture of like Buck and Chris in the water that said that the tsunami arc in 911 is the B-level action film that everybody needs to see. <laughs> the B-grade the B-grade I remember the B-grade action film everybody needs to see or something like that. Um yeah, I agree Nick. 911 canon level angst is is definitely better than fan level angst. Although sometimes I don't think some of the writers know what angst actually is because they'll tag something for angst and I'll expect it and then I'll read it and go, did I miss it? And they seem to think if there's any conflict in the story that that means angst. And I, that's just not what the tag means. Um, I mean, you might feel angst over the, 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 the conflict, but the angst tag should be for your characters, not for you. <laughs> yeah. So I incidentally, somebody posted a picture of a uh, boo posted a picture of, um, um, Buck and Eddie out here in this looks like a possibly some kind of orchard. Um, in at the end of uh, the second book in the So Far series, I talked about Buck using a 54 inch Halligan. That's what Eddie's got on his shoulder right there, and it's way too big for him. <laughs> Give that. Yeah, to yeah, he's exceeding his weight class. <laughs> Yes, he is. Give that, give that, give that weapon to Buck, and Buck can give that little red thing that he's pretending to hold, prop himself up with to Eddie. Eddie's more a thirty-six inch kind of guy, um, which is really interesting because they are not that much of a difference in their size. But he looks, Oliver looks significantly taller than Ryan in that picture. Um, yeah, more and that's than not just accurate. They're only about two inches between yeah, them. But that looks more like five. So. <clears throat> But the funny thing, I mean, there's a, I've never been, um, I'm trying to think of the word, stingy, stingy is, I guess, an okay word. It's not ideal, but it's, I've never been stingy about sharing ideas with other people. If people need help working out ideas, they need help bouncing, um, I'm willing to put that creative energy out there to helping them. And there have been times when the end result was like 90% my plot, which sometimes feels a little bit weird, but if they're able to go forward and execute, even if I like was basically outlining the beats for them, I don't care. And I feel the same way about the podcast when we plot on the podcast. If it gives somebody inspiration to go forth and write and they actually get some writing done, I think that's great. It is not about um, credit. It is not about even it's not even. It, Although I credit like, would be nice. Credit credit saves us a lot of it's but it's not about credit for the sake of credit. The credit is about the attribution is about saving us all hassle. And it also is about giving me the bandwidth to write my own ideas without getting beat up by your readers. Right? Right. Um so I I don't mind putting that energy out there and, and having that creative because I mean other authors do it for me too. They contribute to my creative process and they put their ideas out there freely and willingly and help me. And they don't, usually they don't expect me to credit them for helping me be through a problem or whatever. Although I have encountered that. I have encountered where like I'm trying to work out a problem and an author will come back to me later and go, hey, you didn't credit me in your author notes that I helped you with this. Oh, you know, that's how passive aggressive shit gets in my author notes. Right, this one line out of your two hundred and ten thousand word story, 
I really? can personally thank so-and-so for the 15 minutes she spent with me during the last year when I was writing this while I talked about my problems. Thanks. Right? So, you know, I really enjoy being in that creative energy in a, in a, with authors and when there's a good exchange of ideas and when somebody's trying to solve a problem and people are on the ball and helping with good suggestions. I really love that. Um, but when people get really wrapped around the axle about, well, credit me, or um, when they're sniping an idea out a chat room, it just kind of ruins the whole thing. It kind of puts a damper on everybody's enthusiasm, and it's just not good. So when I encounter people who have this two cakes mentality, um, which what they really mean is, I like to steal ideas without any attribution. and Because so I have I no creativity of my own. Right. It, it really frustrates me because I go, you are a creative energy killer. It's like the slayer of creative energy is sitting right, annoying me to death. You're right, Dark. It is that it is the attitude if they want what they want, even if it makes everybody else unhappy and less productive. And they don't care because they'll just go to a different server or a different chat and get their ideas there. At some point, someone's going to do this to me and they're going to catch me in the wrong mood. I'm going to go over to my site and post a meta about how I had this fantastic idea and I'm going to outline it and tell them how long it was going to be. And I was really looking forward to writing it. I said, but unfortunately so-and-so took it and wrote this 5k piece of shit. And you can read it on AO3. I hope you guys enjoy it. And it might only be on my site for an hour, but I can see myself doing it because sometimes I get really fucking frustrated. Maybe yeah. I won't call it a piece of shit, <laughs> but I will definitely blame this person for my readers not getting a hundred K a fic when they could have, and they got this 5k instead. I'd probably regret it, but I'd still do it because it's really ugly ass behavior and they get away with it all the damn time. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I think a lot of times the best way <laughs> to hand. <laughs> <laughs> We can't trust you guys with a meme generator. <laughs> um, I think it's a cake pop, not a cupcake. <laughs> cake pops are gross. I can't. Cake stand pops them. are gross. I don't. Why are they popular? I've never I seen anybody know. eat one and enjoy it. The last time I ate a cake pop, I I took one bite and spit it out. It was nasty. I was in Starbucks, and you know they have cake pops. Um, and. This little boy uh, was his birthday, so the, little, so the Starbucks girl offered him um, a cup, a, a cake pop, and he says, "Sure." He's like seven or eight, and he takes it. He takes a bite, and he's like, "Oh, this is gross. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's gross. I'm sorry." He kept saying it was gross, and then he'd apologize, I guess, because he'd been taught not to be rude about free things or something. I don't know. <laughs> and the girl's like, "Oh God, I'm so sorry," and she went and got him like a cookie or something instead. Um, but for me, it's not so much the cake part that's gross. It's the the um, the candy melt, the candy melt shell they put it in. Um, it, some of them are some of them are have a softer shell. But for me, the issue is most cake pops they 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 form them um, by mixing them with frosting. Um, the cake is mixed with frosting to make them, you know, into a ball. And then they coat them in some things and some kind of decoration. I find them 95% of the time, that's way too sweet. The frosting to cake ratio is way off and they're way too sweet. Which is why I find it appalling when I read those off-menu Starbucks drinks that are made with blending a bunch of cake pops into a frappuccino. Which is, ugh. I mean, can you imagine? I would prefer a truffle. Thank you. 
I've never had one that I didn't think was a sugar bomb. And actually, one of the things I like about cake is I don't want the cake itself to be too sweet. And it's just, I can't, I can't. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a hot take for you guys. I don't like birthday cake flavored anything. Uh, where how did this become a thing? How did this become a thing? Because it, birthday cake, what does that even mean? Sweet, over the top, fake vanilla. I or does it mean funfetti? I mean, what does it mean? What does birthday cake even mean? It drives me nuts. I love sprinkles. Don't diss the sprinkles, but not I like cake. sprinkles, but not it, there's there's a difference, right? And it's and I do really think it's an artificial vanilla. That's the problem, because um, it has that like that alcohol flavoring. It's weird. To it. it's, and weird. it's not even good alcohol. It's like... there was this restaurant we used to go to. Cake, this this burger place that made a birthday cake milkshake. Uh, it was just. It did taste like all the worst parts of a birthday cake. The birthday cake flavored. It's like mm-hmm. gross. On the other hand, there's a cake shop here makes great cake and one of their flavors i was like am i gonna like that they call it the after school and it's yellow cake with this chocolate fudge icing <coughs> which it mm. looks like reminiscent reminiscent of the kind of cake mom would make and give you when you came home from school mm-hmm. it does it looks like nostalgic vanilla cake with chocolate frosting i love so yellow fu- cake with chocolate frosting it's so fucking good mm. and to me that's what i think of when i think of birthday cake weirdly is yellow cake with chocolate frosting. But I, I I have no idea how this fun fetty thing got going as birthday cake. Anyway, that was a cake tangent. But um I do like a dark chocolate frosting or ganache, um, or a dark fudge frosting. Especially if it's kinda like bittersweet and not too and doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. Um I like fluffier frostings like um like Italian buttercreams or Swiss mm. buttercreams. I like them to be fluffy and, and like that. You can't, but you can't do that in a ganache. So, well, you can actually whip a ganache. You got to be careful with it because you'll break it. Um, there's yeah. a line between whipped and you're fucked. Well, whipped, I mean, but it's still not going to be an Italian buttercream. No, so. it's not. Italian but um, I don't. Italian meringue, but the I mean, meringue I buttercreams. Pref- I like a buttercream, but I don't, I don't like a meringue buttercream. I love the Swiss meringue and the Italian. That's my favorite is the Italian. I, I actually think I like Swiss meringue a little bit better than Italian meringue. I think Italian is a little bit harder to make, so I think less people do it. Um, but I love how light they are. The cake place over here, they they use a Swiss meringue buttercream for their lemon cake, and it is so light and fluffy. It's just so good. I love a, I love a cream cheese frosting, too, but it can't be too sweet. If it's so sweet that it overpowers the cream cheese you, and you don't get that tartness, it's so disappointing. Like, why'd you bother? So anyway, when it comes to two cakes, though, it's, I'm, I'm actually, you know, if we've got, we got, if we got an idea and somebody, and I come up with a chocolate cake and somebody else comes up with funfetti, well, okay, that actually, the system worked. (laughs) I mean, I like a carrot cake. I'll bring a carrot cake. I love carrot cake, especially this time of the year. It, I mean, I, I can't say that with blanket person because I don't actually like raisins in cake. I think they're I don't think weird. raisins belong in any cake. But too, a lot of carrot cakes have raisins in them. And I also have to object to pineapple in carrot cake. I, I, don't I like only it. put I only put pecans and uh, carrots in my carrot cake. Pineapple only belongs as far as cake goes. Pineapple only belongs in pineapple upside down upside cake. Upside down cake. That's right. Um. No, there are some people who use pineapple actually in the carrot cake, like in place of um, 
the raisins. I just don't like either. I I want I want a um, fruit free carrot cake. Yeah, some nicely grated carrots, really moist. Y- yes, we'll we'll deal with the M word when it comes to cake. Pecans or walnuts, if you prefer. I prefer pecans because they're a pecans. little more neutral. Pecans in this house because everybody in my family except for me is allergic to walnuts. Really? Yeah. Um, the cream cheese frosting. Yes, absolutely. And I, want, and I want pecans in the frosting too. To be honest, we had a carrot cake one day, and I just assumed that they were decent human beings and put it was good cake. But I assumed that they were normal and put um, um, cream cheese frosting on it. It was some sort of vanilla buttercream, and I was like, "Ah, it just ruined the whole experience." What is wrong with them? Everything, everything is wrong with them. Cream cheese, if it's cream cheese for me, it's always a frosting. But um, but that's the way for I For me, the it. pineapple is the acidity. I don't want that acidity in my cake. I would only put pineapple in pineapple upside down cake. And it isn't even a cake I would normally eat. I prefer pineapple, pineapple not to be cooked. And pineapple upside down cake is not in the cake. It's on the cake. Right. Or under the cake. Um, I actually love walnuts. But because the, aller- the walnut allergy is so rampant in my family, we don't allow them in the house. And we don't cook with them, and I don't order cake with them or anything like that. But if you want to add moisture to your cake, like a carrot cake can sometimes be dry, I would go with like a carrot baby food before I would a pineapple. I mean, I love fresh pineapple. Or applesauce, yeah. If I have a a really good pineapple, I'm going to eat it raw. I'm not going to put it in a cake. But a sugar-free carrot baby food? Is really good in a carrot cake if you if you're in an environment where your cake tends to go dry. Yeah, <clears throat> dark. You're right. Applesauce also is a good choice for making your carrot cake, any cake, really a little bit moister. But applesauce does add to the sugar content, so if that's something you need to worry about, make a better choice. Because any fruit that's going to be cooked is going to be a lot more sugary, because it breaks down, and there's a lot of sugar in apples, which I love apples. It's apple season. I'm here for it. I do, I do miss my citrus, though. I've not gotten any good citrus in weeks. Um, it's coming. It's coming soon. I know. It's coming soon. Although my favorite citrus isn't in season until spring, practically. Yeah, because you, you use like, like those sumos, right? Um, and the gold nuggets, which I think they come in the season in like in March. Maybe. <clears throat> but back to idea sniping. One of the reasons why this um, come up for me is because I saw something done on the server in good faith. I don't believe this person was trying to be ugly or malicious in any single way, but someone brought up an idea that they had. Um, and that person went out and found a link <laughs> on AO3 of somebody who'd already done it and shared it. And um, I was like, Oh dude, don't do that. Don't do that. That's, 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 that's not what they want. Um, because it, it just really just, it's not helpful. And I think that, what that is, is a reader mentality versus a writer mentality. Um, readers, when you tell them, oh, hey, I have, I want to read stuff like this. Well, they'll go find you six, seven links of somebody who's already done this for you so that you can read it. And that's their mentality. Um, whereas writers, for the most part, don't do this. Because they know that they that you're not looking for somebody else's execution of your idea. And often it does look like somebody's saying... You stole that idea from here. Someone got bitchy with me about Cabbage Patch Babies. Because I have um, 
a couple of EADs that feature Cabbage Patch Babies. And um, one of my favorite, absolute 100% favorite um, Cabbage Patch Babies is Flowers for Yovana by Soeba. Is that how you say her name? I, mm-hmm. I always get it wrong. Do I get no, that? Okay, it right. good. Awesome. You got it right. Um, it's fucking awesome, right? Well, when I mentioned that that story was my favorite, someone, someone came along and pointed out all the stories that were written before Flowers for Yovana. I didn't read those stories. Or at least not before you read Soeba's story. Right? One of them I'd never read at all. And she said, well, you should give proper credit where credit is due. And so I said, okay, when I actually post my pick on my site, I will credit Tolkien. <laughs> because he is actually the author of Cabbage Patch Babies. Because in case you missed it, that's where it started. Every single goddamn orc, orc in Lord of the Rings came out of the ground. They're orc, Cabbage orc, Patch orc. Babies. Just so you know. Don't get it mixed up. You probably ruined it for them. I don't care. I, I love it. I love that you did. I, I, I love a good despite response. <coughs> well, it's sort of like the person who wrote me and accused me of stealing a bunch of your Sentinel ideas. Um, <laughs> that were like fanon concepts that had yeah. been written a hundred times before I ever wrote a single Sentinel story. Yeah. Right. It was stuff like prides and it was just, it was all these common fanon tropes that I don't know. And so what I did is I sent them this list of authors and stories that had been published using those tropes before you ever published a word in fandom. And I said, you let me know what you think, you know? And it was just, it was, I didn't have much to say. I was like, here you go. Why don't you go do some better research? Because it just, I just found it really annoying that um, if I, it, the thing is those concepts are so, were so, if I knew who to credit the idea of prides to. I, I would, but I have I would, who did that first. I have no idea. I've read that. And and even if we knew who posted it first, we wouldn't know who did it first. Right. And I also wouldn't know who to actually credit for the inspiration because it's hard to tell who inspired me to want to use that particular trope. Because by the time I wrote in the Sentinel, I had read literally hundreds of stories that use prides, you know, and when you talk about like the psionic plane and just some of the terminology that is very common in the, because the fanon is very robust for Sentinel fusion. And people tend to think of it as like there's like some sort of like gospel around it. But people who've only read one author who aren't broadly read in the fandom tend to think that that author created those concepts. And um, Kira had a very has some very um, defensive fans, which I think is great that your fans defend your honor. But it's I was not always like, great. But I was just like sitting there scratching my t- what? How could Kira enough? <laughs> So it was just a little, a little startling for me, but then I went, oh, fuck this. And so I just sent them, and then I never heard from them again. Because, of, you know, anytime you shit anybody's cornflakes, they, as, as I think they that can't was handle it. in that comment. Um, they, they, they just kind of, they have to back off because they don't want to. Although I probably did hurt their, hurt, wound them that, for them to find out that you didn't create all those concepts. Oh, okay. Who has time for that I shit? I don't know. It's just, it's so dumb. Anyway, it, it's just. But if I borrow a concept from somebody or I'm inspired by a concept, always a tree, Claudia. I got that from one person. I don't know. I mean, I've seen it in other stories since, but I got that from Claire Watson. Claire Watson infected us both because I'm just convinced that Claudia was a tree in canon. Fight me. Right? I have one story where it makes no sense for Claudia to be a tree that I'm working on. And it actually hurts me to write it she's not a tree because I'm like how could I and I keep trying to find a way to fit it into the plot but it doesn't work I really need her to be just normal human so I'm just like 
my sadness knows no bounds because <laughs> it's my head cannon. But I will always um, credit Claire for that inspiration if I write Tree Claudia because I know exactly where that inspiration came from. Now, will the stories I write have any? There's no similarity between Adaptable and All In, her zombie story. None, except for Claudia becoming a tree. Yeah, I feel like she's a tree. Even when it's not said explicitly that she's a tree, I think somehow she's still a tree. She's a tree. <laughs> she's a tree. <laughs> oh, Edie, <laughs> you need to back away from the meme generator. <laughs> but yeah, the orc are the first um, appearance of Cabbage Patch Babies in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. That That's, yeah, right there. Bang. Fight but, me. you know, if the thing is, I... If I were to, it, there's a difference between, like, I, I like the concept, I like the trope of the Cabbage Patch Babies, but nothing that I read made me go, I want to write this trope. So I don't know that if I were to write Cabbage Patch Babies, and, but the thing is, it's not like I was so inspired by that trope that, I, that it inspired a story on its own. But if I were to write a Hobbit story, I would probably have them planting their children. So where is the inspiration there? So for me, there's a line about inspiration. Like if something influences me directly, like a story influences me directly in my headcanon, I will attribute that, like I did with Claire, I'll attribute that author as being responsible for like, because I'd, I'd never read Claudia being a tree before Claire wrote it. So for me, that was very distinct. Um, the distinct piece of world building and character craft that really, really got to me that I really wanted to include in my work. So I, you know, the tribute, but the Cabbage Patch thing never really directly influenced me to write, want to write a story because of that. But on the other hand, it's more like a, I've been incepted so that if I were to write a story, Cabbage Hobbits would be planted. So how do you credit? Because I've read a lot of Cabbage Patch Baby stories. I mean, it does, I, I mean at this point, it's a, um, it's a trope. Right. It is a trope. So and tropes aren't credited. Right. So if you're influenced by a trope, um, but not a specific story's application of that trope, you just move on with your life. But if it's a specific application of the trope, a specific execution of a trope, that's when you credit somebody for inspiring you. Because people always ask me, how do you know when to credit somebody? I'm like, were you inspired by what they wrote that directly led to what you want to write? Because somebody actually credited me with something for inspiring them recently. I don't even remember what they were inspired by because the thing that inspired them, what they wrote was so far, there, there was no similarity between the inspiration and the execution. It was just, they, there was, they read something in one of my stories and they went, oh, and it sparked an idea. And because it was something that they read in one of my stories, they went ahead and put in their author note, this was inspired by, you know, this line in Jilly's story. And I read the story and I was sitting there scratching my head going, really? I would never have picked up on that inspiration if you didn't tell me. I mean, and I think it's great that that to me is what inspiration is, right? Is that you read something and you see something or whatever and you go, oh, wow, lightning has struck my brain. And you go off and you do something completely. Although I was pretty literal with Cabin, with uh, Claudia as a tree because there's not many ways to go very different with that. I mean, yeah. One of my favorite act stories in um, The Hobbit would, is the story where Thorin carved their children. Yeah, I, isn't that by Sunrider? Mm -hmm. It's called Car. The series is called Carving, I think. Yeah. Um, 
and Bilbo finds out about his son um, after he's gone back to the Shire and he comes back and he's like, Thorin Oakenshield, what the actual fuck? <laughs> it's great. I read that um, after I had read several of the Cabbage Patch stuff. If somebody had mentioned to me that there was a, like a, a companion concept that somebody had written where they were carved from stone instead of planted in the earth. I don't think I've ever read another one. Like this didn't, this didn't kick off as a trope um, the way the cabbage patch hobbits did. So to me, this whole car from stone thing to me, at least in my reading is still pretty unique. That's why I know the author off the top of my head. So I've only read it from this one author. There was also one, and I'm not sure if this is part of Sunrider series or if this is a different author where Thorin's father had actually carved children as well that were not his own, but were children that were part of his line um, that he was inspired to bring out of the stone. Um, and one of them was missing a foot. And when Bilbo came to the mountain, he made a foot out of wood for that particular baby statue. And Thorin put it on the little statue and it became their baby because he was going to be half Hobbit. So the statue wasn't complete. Is that part of Sunrider series? It was beautiful. But I thought it really interesting that some of the children in, um, I don't think, no, okay. Lady Horse saying it's a different story. I thought that was really beautiful is that, you know, Thorin's father, um, participated somewhat in the creation of his grandchildren and Thorin completed that particular statue and um for him and Bilbo. Huh. It was beautiful. So so there is somebody else who's who's written the carving one. I haven't read it though. So for me the carving thing doesn't exist as a trope yet in my mind. It it it's a singular story. But if they're you know, I don't but I think that's actually built on a myth that's in the Lord of the Rings universe where other characters have implied that Dwaro or basically carved car out of stone. Carved from, car from the earth. Yeah. Carved from mountains. But it also feels like an, ex it feels like a logical extension of the cabbage patch thing. Like, you know, hobbits grow things. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause Mahal carved the first dwarves. Yeah. Dark. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh. Okay. So if it's it's sort of an extension of canon, so um, it, it, it's a it's a logical extension of canon. So, um, but I still, if I were to, for me, if I were to, I if I were to write carved, uh, du you know, Duaro carving, it probably would be inspired by Sunrider's story because that's the only one I've read. Although the other one sound sounds charming, and I would love to read it. I haven't read The Hobbit in a hot minute. And I need to. If step someone away can from... find that fic for her, it would be great. It's it's it is charming. And it I need really to step is. away from nine one one before I combust. I know, right? Oh. I have never come closer to writing meta and putting it on Ao three than I did yesterday afternoon. I've never come closer to starting. I mean, I don't start fights in people's comment section, but I have been tempted. <laughs> Just a throw down. She's ready to throw hands, y'all. <laughs> Virtual hands, not real on hands. On stories, <laughs> I haven't even read. Because I just will, some gatekeeping. I will defend your right to explore a character however you wish. And the thing is, the explorations aren't ugly; they're not inappropriate for the, from what I've seen. It's just people exploring a different, exploring characters in the way they're interpreting what they're seeing on the screen, or exploring. It'd be like exploring, um, you know, what's going on in um, 
Maddie's life from Buck's point of view. There's nothing wrong with that. And yet people are gatekeeping it like this stuff is bad and uh, that you shouldn't do it. And it's just, it's making me so, and the thing is, they're not just doing it like in the comments of you shouldn't do this. They're like calling people out on Tumblr and Twitter and putting up parts of their stories and bashing them in a very public fashion and making snide comments and sending them DMs and making abusive remarks and, you know, saying things like, you know, I hope you find someday what it's like to really be abused and just really horrible, horrible behavior. And it's just really pissing me off. And it kind of sucks that I signed up for 911 November because right now I am just so fed up with this shit. Well, let's put it out there. Anybody who signed up for 911 for Rough Trade, if you don't feel comfortable continuing into Rough Trade into Nano, we will change your sign up. Straight up. We'll just change it. Just send me an email um, and we'll do it because um, it is a little toxic right now in that fandom. And there's no reason for you guys to suffer through National Novel Writing Month with that kind of stress. Uh, obviously, commenting on rough trade is moderated and it always will be. Um, and I will ban motherfuckers left and right if they get abusive on my shit. I got an IP ban and I will use it. I once banned the entire country of Germany to get one person. And I banned that country for a year. I inadvertently banned a public library once, which kind of pissed me off because I was like, really? You've been abusing me from a public library? How rude. No, I'm serious. I banned an IP range that covered the entire country of Germany. Um, right now, it's not my intention to change. What I need to do, though, is step away from following what's going on with these shenanigans because it's just every time I read a comment, a shitty comment, or, you know see justification for violence or whatever i get mad and i just if i'm stewing in those emotions i won't be able to write the story i could write the story i wrote today but that's not the story i have for november i don't the story i have from november is not salty and it's not bitter so i can't be in this headspace about that fandom in two weeks so if i can't get away from this headspace i'm gonna have to change projects so you know i'm this is what we should do. We should spend the next two weeks writing wish babies. Yes, we should. Or just babies in general. I'll have, just have a butt gets a baby challenge. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put up my salty little thing tomorrow. Um, and uh, I think some people are going to reco recoil from where I went with it in some, in some ways. Um, and I think some people, on the other hand, might find it very um, therapeutic. I don't know. Well, Dark, the thing about using a VPN, when you use a VPN, when somebody does an IP check, it will show up as a VPN. It will be labeled a VPN um, so that you will know whether or not you've got a real IP address or whether you've got a virtual private network address. Lady Holder has found the fic I was talking about. It's called of, of, Stone, oh. of the Stone of Erebor and the Gardens of the Shire. Uh, let me get the title. The author. The author by Triskillian. Oh, well, that's a, we know her from that's, Facebook. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's one of, that's a rough trade author. Mm -hmm. Very uh, good pick. It was very charming. That little wood foot made me cry. It was so, it was so sweet. <laughs> it was just the sweetest thing. I think he might've even used oak for it. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. I'm writing, I have a wish baby fix that I'm writing um, for, for Buck and Eddie. And it's and it, the baby appears after he comes home from being shot um, because they both encounter a woman leaving the hospital when Eddie is who'd had a baby. 
um, it kind of like comes to a head on them, so to speak. And so the baby appears when they get home. Um, but I have the events, but I feel like my emotional content is missing. Or it could just be the headspace that I had when I was writing it or when I was reading it. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm precariously close to my period. And sometimes my emotional um, intelligence gets a little low <laughs> before my period starts. Does that make any kind of sense? It's just like, I get so... I think you're going to find that it's not as flat as you think it is. Um, at least where where you, where it where it is where it stopped. Um, mm -hmm. I felt like the the emotions were starting to rise really intensely, um, and maybe that's why you stopped where you did. It's because you weren't ready to go there with where you are emotionally. I don't know. Mm, probably. But, it's just like there was a whole bunch of people there. Um, because I was mirroring canning circumstances, but I also wanted to highlight something because of the way I had the wish babies appear and where they come from. I wanted to kind of highlight <coughs> how other religions might be put off by it because I didn't want the world building to be perfect, that everybody would be accepting of a wish baby. I wanted there to have a kind of like an external kind of conflict around it a little bit. Not like dangerous, but like realistic in my mind. Because I had the babies come from the Fae. Um, and there are some religions who'd find that ungodly and off-putting. To say yeah. the least. Yeah. I mean, I, what I saw of where you, where you were with it, I think it was very um, um, well thought out. The world building. It felt very real. Um, but, I mean, it's not emotionally flat because I think I was crying on the second page. At least <laughs> I but, mean, I sent her that fic to cheer her up because she was still right that salty fic and it was making her mad. And then she told me she was crying and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I fucked that up, didn't I? <laughs> no, it was good. I felt like I, but I mean, Kira says, when, when is your period? And I'm like, in like four days. <laughs> You try to cheer somebody up with a wish baby and they burst into tears. <laughs> so I got I got weepy early on. I got like teary and then I just was full on crying by like a couple pages later. I was like <laughs> Okay, so maybe the emotional content is flat. <laughs> no, it's not flat, but it's definitely starting to the thing the emotional content of the narrative is not flat. Um but Buccanetti's tone is just starting to rise, but it makes sense that they're a little flat at that point in the story. Because it's really shocking. They're not even well, in a relationship. <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like well, but I feel like in those circumstances, they're both kind of dissociated a little bit. Like Eddie's home from getting shot, and you know he probably wants everybody out of his house, and he's miserable, and he's in pain, and he doesn't really want this woman hanging on him. So Eddie's tone makes sense to me to be a little flat, and I think Buck is just like I'm tolerating this because I love Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I feel like it's they were emotionally. Awful. So at the end of the story, on the other hand, at the well, the end of where I saw it, their emotional tone is just starting to come up because their circumstances have changed. And that's where you that's where that's where all I've seen is right there. But I yeah. I could feel it coming up and I was like, but the tone of the narrative and the actions are very emotional. So but it makes sense that the characters themselves are in kind of an unemotional place or at least suppressing their emotions. I think Eddie's suppressing. Buck is dissociating. So Christopher's it's... like, is this my new sister? Christopher's like, yes. <laughs> and then it's just Gibson... all going over his head. <laughs> you know, he's like, I got a new sister. 
so it but yeah it felt emotionally kind of spot on to to where you were portraying the characters as being so i think mm-hmm. when you're you know away from your emotional cesspool it will feel because <laughs> i am three days off my period <laughs> it will feel better <clears throat> but i do feel like my emotional landscape changes um even in the tone of my writing um because of my pmdd so but then yeah, those of you who don't that. know who don't have a vagina that's postmenstrual dysphoric disorder is that what they're calling it? I think so. That is exactly why I'm having it. Premenstrual. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I thought it was okay. pre. Okay. Um, night, Sam, Nick. Oh, of course um, it's pre. Why would I say post? Because I haven't even started yet. I was, I was, sitting, I was kind of scratching my head going, is it post? You, you made me stop and think. And I was like, man, that'd be rough if you've got PMS and then you get postmenstrual. But the thing is, is my period is so short. I never feel like I leave it. What do you mean it's so I mean, short? These, say, yeah. these days, it's just 26 days. And I believe oh. for eight. Oh, your cycle's short, yeah. I So, you feel like you get basically two weeks off, and at least a week of that is PMS, or PMDD right. in your case. Um, and I am medicated for my PMDD. If I wasn't, I would be, um, I would sleep for a week before my period started. Because it would be, um, uh, it would compound on my clinical depression, and there would be just, it, I would be useless. I had PMDD for a few years in my 20s, diagnosed and was getting treated for it. Um, I was almost suicidal every month, which is when they started treating it. Um, it hits people differently, how they, some people get very angry. Some people, I had a friend who had PMDD issues and she was just a bucket of irritation um, for about five days a month. I get, I used to get stupidly, um, stupidly hostile. Um but when I started getting my clinical depression treated, they put me on a antidepressant um, and briefly an antipsychotic, but it didn't really help. Um, and that helped with the PMDD as well. Yeah, with, for me, they gave me some, I was on antidepressants and progesterone um, for the PMDD. Um, they tried estrogen first, the estrogen made it worse. I was crying all the time. Right. Um, estrogen bad bad juju for me with pmdd because my estrogen was not estrogen but they gave me some progesterone and that helped but um i treated for a couple years and i stopped the medications the problem didn't come back but i promise you if if i ever started getting those kinds of symptoms again because i have pms issues but i know the difference between pmdd and pms if i started getting pmdd symptoms again i would be in the doctor's office so fucking fast (laughs) be like we're solving this we're solving it right now i'm not living like this she set the world on fire getting there but then well i would say the big difference between me when it comes to pms and pmdd is that when my symptoms were at their worst, when I wasn't treated, I fully understood how somebody could use it as a defense for murder. And it has been used in court as a defense for murder because the hormone balance was so an imbalance was so extreme that when I wasn't thinking about doing myself in, I was thinking about, you know what, motherfucker, <laughs> motherfucker. It would just be like, and I would have a hair trigger too. It can it can leave you mentally compromised if you've got it and you're not if and you're not treated for it, which is why it's important if you have symptoms of PMDD that you, and maybe not even your GP, maybe a mental health professional because they're going to have the right skills to be able to treat PMDD, and often GPs just flail about, um, or they put you on the pill and make it worse. Some people the pill helps, but a lot of people it just doesn't. So. Um, 
anyway. But yeah, if you're if you're having if you're having PMDD symptoms in your writing and you're feeling this is just a, an advisory, or even if you're having PMS symptoms, which is probably where I am right now, which is probably why I'm not handling this fandom kerfuffle right now going on very well. Um, if you're having those kinds of symptoms, you know, before you do anything drastic with your writing, like rewrite something, wait until you're done with the period or the hormonal changes or whatever. Um, just just give yourself your hormone, a if break. If fluctuations are ongoing, see a doctor about it. <coughs> Ask for help. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's no, there's you no reason. You don't go to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> whooping somebody's ass you don't know and going to jail. <laughs> yeah. There's no, and there's no reason to suffer. I mean, I went, when well, my PMDD was really bad, I think there was a point, three, like three months, I didn't leave the house. And, um, you know, now we're all going, oh, well, we've all been there. <laughs> but back then, it was weird. <laughs> 20 years ago, it was strange to not leave the house for three months. I mean, there came a point in my clinical depression and my PMDD where I realized how bad it was when I considered going to the store to get new clothes instead of washing the clothes that I had. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> That's how I went up with a hundred pair of underwear. Right? <laughs> okay. I'm not the only one. <laughs> Man, I have like 50 pairs of underwear. When you got 100 pairs of underwear and laundry, your shoulders get really tired after folding all that. And then one of my friends goes, I told one of my friends that I said, Man, you have to fold. When you got an entire load, a large load of nothing but panties. And she's like, and I'm sitting there folding. And she goes, I said, Boy, and your shoulders get tired when you've been folding underwear for like 30 minutes. And she's like, You fold your underwear? <laughs> And I just gave her this not look, the, like the hundred part. It wasn't the hundred pairs of underwear part. It was the part that she folded, right? See, Boo, Boo is like my my friend and I are just. I just looked at her and, she, and I was like, I, I don't even know you. <laughs> what do you do? And I asked her. I asked her this. You just throw them all in a drawer and then hope you can find what you're looking for. She said yes, and I said, ew. <laughs> <laughs> my underwear drawer is very meticulous. Actually, all my drawers are very meticulously organized. I. It's probably, maybe it's an OCD thing. I don't know, but that's always been that way. I've never been able to just throw things in a drawer. <laughs> Nick said we just woke up Marie Kondo from her sleep. <laughs> probably so. She's just having, she don't even know why she's so scared. But yeah, that's, that, that's actually a really common symptom of depression that you're so overwhelmed by the idea of doing your own laundry that you'll get on fucking Amazon and order clothes. Or go to Walmart and order and buy three packs of underwear so you don't have to do laundry. Right. And then you wind up. I mean, I have had I've had laundry pile up to the point that I had to do 20 loads of laundry at the at the laundromat. I kid you not of clothes. Now, I I've actually backed off of having this. But this was a function of my depression back then was that I had that many clothes so that I could go that long without doing laundry. And the thing is, is laundry is one of those tasks. It isn't like we're having to beat our clothes on a rock. Right? I mean, I got a fucking laundry. I got I got a washer and dryer downstairs. Um, there's there's no I reason didn't. for me. <laughs> Back then, I didn't. I had to take those 20 loaves of the laundromat. But that's what I would do. It's like, you know, it'd be like once every two months or something, I would be taking this mountain of clothes to the laundromat and just deal with getting it done. And then and it became a real fixture in my depression, this whole laundry thing, for years. 
Yeah, I'd come in with my clothes. And you know that you have those little carts you put your bags of clothes in? I'd have like 15 bags filled. And each bag would have like, you know, those those cloth laundry bags would be the equivalent of two or three loads. And I'd, you know, if I was doing my bedding. So, class and, she had, and she'd be like spending $100 at the laundromat. It was terrible. You know, and I'd use all of their, I'd get their, I get their minute they open and I'd be using all of their giant washers to shove like, you know, 10 sets of sheets and to these giant commercial washers. And, you know, it was, it was terrible. It was, it was a terrible mental you know, state to be in for years. It might have honestly been better and cheaper to just have somebody else wash your clothes for you. Probably true. It probably the amount of money. I was probably just, sometimes I wonder if it was cheaper just to buy a new outfit every day, you know? Because, I mean, Laundry services, like you, if, if you go to the dry cleaners, they also have a laundry service, and they pay, and they and, and you pay by the pound, and it's not stupid expensive. Um, I used to work in a hotel, and guests would um, send their their laundry out to be done, especially if they were there for a couple of weeks because of government, and it was like fifty cents a pound. Yeah, depending upon what you're wanting to have done, it can be. I mean, I've paid to have laundry done before when things were difficult for me physically, but. It wasn't something I felt like I wanted to indulge in financially a lot, but I probably should have. But it was so funny how laundry was such a fixture of my depression for years. And a lot of that depression was related to PMDD. Um, and man, my writing was also very strange at that period in my life. So, and dark, right? Very dark. Very yeah. dark. That's another reason. That's another way to figure out if, if your mental health is a little off. If your writing takes a really dark tone when it doesn't normally have a really dark tone. Um, do some evaluation and maybe talk to your doctor because sometimes these, these symptoms can sneak up on you and you'll be living in it and not even know it. And being in an environment that's really toxic, like fandom can be very toxic, can attribute to that. Yeah. It's important to notice your, your, mental state, even your physical state, when you're interacting with stories, when you're reading stories, when you're reading comments, when you're, when you're reading fandom meta, it's important to notice because like I noticed yesterday that I was tense and frustrated. Like I was having massive anxiety issues. And I realized as I sat and thought about it, that it was my frustration over this gatekeeping that's going on in 911 because it is affecting so many of the people that I know who write in that fandom and more people coming onto the server every day who are being affected by this gatekeeping. And it is a very tiny group of people behind this and they're very abusive. And it's just, it's just really it also the other thing that was contributing to my frustration was my frustration with actual canon. And then you'd contribute add in the gatekeeping, telling people they are not allowed to I mean, it makes me want to go over there and say, Hey, I've been diagnosed for for clinic with, with, with clinical depression for 20 years. So from now on, you're not allowed to. And the list all the things that I think they shouldn't be allowed to do because of my clinical depression. Because I'm a real life fucking person and not a fictional character. Right. So, you know, they feel like people shouldn't be allowed to explore what happened most recently in canon in a way that they find objectionable or in a way that demeans the character they like the best. And so they're being very, they're publicly calling out authors and publicly calling out stories and um, being as obnoxious as they possibly can be as there's a lot of gaslighting. And because of my own feelings about 
what happened in canon. And I'm gonna, I'm trying to avoid spoilers here, but because of my own feelings about what happened in canon, I would like to see some explorations of consequences. But people are hesitating because of this gatekeeping, and that just made me even matter. I'm like, I, normally I can get some satisfaction from um, people's exploration of of alternate endings or you know the consequences of somebody's behavior but we're not really getting much of that because of the gatekeeping so i noticed yesterday that i was carrying around a lot of anxiety and so i was like i need to get this one thing out of my system that i've had in the back of my brain since i heard about this in late readest events in canon this is about this is about the canon thing and then i need to step off of what's going on in the fandom side of it because um you know I, t- I talk to people, I talk to people privately, we talk to people in the chats. If you take your story down, if you change your tags, da 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 da, you're doing exactly what they want. They have bullied you into their net. It's difficult position to be in because I would never advocate for somebody leaving a story published that is making them miserable. On the other hand, it is also true that when somebody who's bullying you to take your story down, when you take it down, you have given them what they want. They have won. So I certainly would never advise somebody to pull a story because a bully is telling them to. I mean, I have but, never wanted to post on AO3 more in my life right? than I have for the past week. And I don't post on AO3 because of the pedophilia. Um, <clears throat> so it, it's a difficult position because I want to say to people, and I do, I've, I've said it a couple <clears throat> times, right? That's a really nice <laughs> ass, Tim. That is a very nice ass. Um <laughs> But I want to say to people, don't let them win. Don't change your tags. Like, they want you to strip the character tags off so nobody who likes this character will come across your ugly ass. Even though that character is central to what you wrote, but whatever. Um, but I, it's like, it's just, it's just, it's created this real knot of frustration in me that is manifesting the way anxiety does for me physically. And um, if I want to be successful in nano, I'm going to have to sort this out. And I got two weeks to get myself sorted out. Part of it was um, getting this one story that I wrote today done, which is going to, if any of them ever run across it, they're going to lose their fucking minds. Um, But, you know, if they come onto my site and read this story, they're going to, they're going to get exactly what they deserve. We can bookmark it on AO3 to make sure they see it. I don't know that they would see it, but maybe you can. Oh, you can create a link to an external work as opposed to bookmarking an external work. There's two different ways of doing that. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, look um, around and find out. <laughs> we can take this outside. <laughs> I will say, from what I've seen, I pushed the consequences of what happened in canon further than anything I've read. I thought it was great. So I think, I think was, the tone is good. The um, Eddie's reaction is on point. Um, Buck's boundaries are gold. Uh, you just did a great job. Yeah. So I just need to, you know, edit it. Maybe talk to Grammarly. Grammarly and I have not been friends lately because it keeps talking to me about, you know, my ellipses and it's pissing me off. They were talking about that you could turn things off on Grammarly now. I, that hasn't been my experience. See, hell, saying it again. Hell, that's not been my experience. <laughs> I think it, it may depend upon how you're using Grammarly. Hell, are you using Grammarly in the Grammarly app? Are you using Grammarly on the website? How are you using Grammarly? You're using the website. Okay. I'm using the plugin in Word. 
So I either have to figure out where those settings are in the plugin, or I may need to use try Grammarly on the website and see if But it might not have migrated into the plugin yet. It could yeah, be a beta feature on the website. The plugin seems sometimes more limited, um, but the Grammarly, you know, the website or the app, the actual functional Grammarly app sometimes does seem more robust. But I still only ever use the critical features typically in Grammarly because, you know, I just am not up to hearing about their perception of clarity. But anyway, I, I need to reread it tomorrow, clean up some stuff. I do feel like the initial comp did I did you feel like the conversation between Maddie and Buck went on for too long? I think that there came a point when he was jading. Justify what what what's it called? Justify defend I forget what the A is. Um Justify argue defend then there's an E. Enable explain. <clears throat> Which is which is what happens. It's it's basically an emotional response that people who are um, being gaslighted fall into, where they justify their actions, they argue, they defend themselves, they explain too much. Um, yeah, but also he loves her, so it's not out of character, which is why it yeah. didn't stand out to me at all. Okay, I mean, I felt like he could easily get into that trap of trying to justify himself to her. And so I, f I did feel like he was like dancing into that space and then pulling mm -hmm. himself back and then dancing yeah. into it and pulling himself back. Which because is realistic for the circumstances and for his character. Yeah, because he doesn't want to... Also, he's very conscious of not wanting to put his struggles onto her at this time. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting in, in general that people tend to forget, and especially these fandom gatekeepers tend to forget, is that one character struggle with a mental health problem does not just affect them. And it also it doesn't negate the other people's emotional issues and problems. Right. So, you know, one of my brothers is paranoid schizophrenic and he's on and off his medications. And we has had a really difficult time for a while with him in and out of the hospital and I tried, I, you know, I never put my issues onto him during that time period. I didn't talk to him about what was going on difficult in my life. But the fact that he was going through another trip in the hospital and being committed again, going through that whole cycle, it didn't change. It didn't negate the difficulties I was having in my life, nor did it mean that I wasn't having a reaction to his mental health struggles. It also sometimes his mental health struggles were a literal problem in my life because sometimes he would do shit that caused major problems for me. But the way this is being presented by these gatekeepers is that nobody is allowed to have an emotional reaction or have any kind of emotional fallout to this other kid to this to, to Maddie's mental health issues. Because they fetishized her as a character and most specifically her, the, uh, the domestic abuse in her past right it is genuinely a fetish for them um they have entire tumblers full of images of the physical results of her domestic violence and even the actual yeah hers yeah Doug. yeah yeah they actually and 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 um and even the actual scenes with Doug like gift sets. gift sets with her and being terrorized by Doug. I I actually found it intensely uncomfortable, one of these tumblers, because it was so... But if you explore... They are hyper-focused on her victimization and not her actual survival. Right. And if and you say anything... 
if you disagree with their perception, they're, they're, they will come back and say you're missing the nuance of the situation as if you're incapable of understanding the complexities of her mental health issues. And, and I would like, be like, you're missing the fact that she's a fictional character. Yeah, they do plaster the images of Athena up as well from when she was attacked by that serial rapist. Because they are really intent on treating Maddie Buckley like she really exists. And anything you do in a story in fandom personally offends and hurts her. And how dare you? It is disturbing as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. There's been quite a bit of those kinds of comments to people. Um, people wishing harm on others for not writing the way they want Maddie to be written. For not for not interpreting Matt or, you know, or just not writing from Maddie's point of view. So if you explore what Maddie's situation is like for Buck or for anybody else, then you're victimizing Maddie further and they wish abuse upon you. So, and the thing is, it is a small group of people who are doing this very small and, and, and by very small, I would say the active participants, my guess is less than a dozen. And when you consider the number of people actively creating and participating in the 911 fandom, that is a very tiny group of emotional terrorists and cyber bullies. Um, which them, which honestly makes them more abusive than Doug Kendall because Doug Kendall doesn't actually exist and they do. And their victims are real. It's not really reportable on AO3. Some of the comments probably do cross the line and get reported, but most of the bullying is happening on Twitter and Tumblr. And because most of the authors that are being targeted have turned off anonymous commenting, which means you have to be logged into comment, most of these people have created sock puppet accounts so that if they get reported and their site and their account gets deleted, it doesn't affect their main account that their stories are written under. Because most of these people are authors. Um, Anyway. That's why I come back to bite them because AO3 could definitely figure out the IP address situation. Please don't count on the fact that you can have an anonymous bully account on AO3 to protect your main account. They have they access wanted. to you and your login details on a level that would petrify you. You're a dumb motherfucker. So they've really crossed the line, especially in direct messages on, on, on uh, Twitter. Um, L saying that that uh, author did get banned by IP on AO3. That must they must have done something really fucked up shit because there's some fucked up shit on on AO3 that they get away with. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, on it, uh, with some of these comments, I'm seeing the language, the tone of the language, is the exact same as what I'm seeing on Tumblr, but the names are different, and these are established authors. So I know these are sock puppet accounts, and they have no written works under these names so AO3 could figure it out but the thing is right now I think most of the authors that are being victimized are deleting the comments and just trying to move on um, that one guy that tags 3,000 fandoms did he ever get banned? <laughs> I hope so um, I think they pulled the work and went and put it on WordPress or something oh yeah I imagine AO3 does track invites so if you're giving your invites to these assholes, AO3 is going to see you doing it. Yeah, so I mean, I think they probably think that they've got some shield for their shitty behavior. But and the problem is also is that th those who have done some of the stuff publicly have gotten kicked off of some of the fandom communities. So in general, I don't think the fandom in general is being very tolerant of this behavior. But it's not certainly not stopping it, and they just feel like that they're being victimized by the fandom. And that that actually is a tone in some of the Tumblr posts is that, you know, fandom hates them. And, you know, if you if you don't write Buck as a big 
victim that you know you're going to be hated by fandom and driven off of communities and blah 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 blah. the thing is, is i don't like reading buck as a victim and i don't like writing him i like to write him as strong and bold and heroic as fuck yeah, Hot. I do too. And I think there certainly, there certainly is a certain amount of infantilizing of Buck, but I don't even think it's the predominant trope that people do. I do think the predominant trope for Buck is insecure. Yeah. Um, but that's not the same thing as infantilizing him. But also, for the record, I do hate y'all. I'm not really even in it, but I hate you because you're, you're the reason we can't have nice things. You're literally the reason we can't have nice things. And we know it. We don't like you. All right, we have a few people um, here on the server who are just plowing on. They're writing what they want to write. They've turned off anonymous commenting um, and just continuing on. And I really appreciate their fortitude because I know they're getting called out on Tumblr and they're being, you know, they're, they're by, by name. There's one person who actually made a point of finding all the beta readers from the authors that they don't like and calling out the beta readers on Tumblr, too. And that's fucked up to put up a post that says, here are the authors that are writing the shitty things that they we don't like. Here are their tumblers. And here are all their beta readers so you can block them too. Which they didn't actually block them. What they did is they started going out and harassing them. Nick says he got called out because he got a gift fic from an author that's on their target list. I'm going to write a really ugly meta and then just go, I don't want to post on L3 personally. But I'm going to start putting it in people's comment section. <laughs> Supporting the author and calling out all these douchebags. It's going to happen, you guys. It's going to happen. I'm going to start a brawl in somebody's comment section. And I have never done that in fandom. Ever. Not even in my own comment section have I started an outright brawl. I think that is the most hysterical part of it, Becca, is that they claim on Tumblr that they have blocked all of these authors. Yet they still somehow keep finding their stories and reading them. It's just awful. But see, that here's the thing. Because you're right. It is just a few insignificant bitches. Who man, you should, you aren't should see happy that, uh, that all these writers who have talent aren't wanking on their behalf. Right. You should see them whining about how the story Boo, they write you're hilarious. Them. She's going to throw hands with me. <laughs> Bitches get stitches. <laughs> but you should see them whining about how, like, oh, you write a baby buck story, you're going to get all of these hits. But you write a good story about Maddie and Chimney and nobody reads it. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to let you guys in on a fucking secret. Jennifer Love Hewitt is hot. Okay, she's hot. She was hotter when she was younger. I'm not going to lie, but she's still hot. And, and Kenneth Choi is good looking, but Oliver Stark and Ryan Guzman are fire. There is no fucking way with those two in that fandom that any other pairing would ever be hotter. What the actual fuck? Are you, are you, are you homophobic? Is that what it is? Because I think it might be part of it. Well, the fine thing is they'll claim they love Buck and they claim they love Eddie, but they're just but so they upset that nobody is reading their Maddie Chimney stories, which I don't have a problem with Maddie Chimney at all. I used to like the pairing. They're making me start to hate it. I'm not sure I could ever like the pairing after I went on YouTube and watched that scene. Well, yeah. I mean, I was over... If you don't want spoilers, plug your ears for a second because we're going to talk about the most recent episode. I... I was dumb. I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to, I know a lot of people are still okay with Chimney, but I am not. I'm not. I do not deal with interpersonal violence. And Buck is his girlfriend, the woman he wants to marry, brother, and his family, and he hit him. And that That's was his not, baby girl's uncle. 
That is not a trivial punch. That was not a little, that was not a little tap. And the thing is, I do not believe for a second that he was out of control and didn't know what he was doing because he wouldn't have hit Hen. And I do not believe that he would have hit Buck if Eddie or Bobby or Athena had been in the room. One is and legal consequences. We all know he sure as so hell wouldn't have hit Eddie. Right. Because one is legal consequences. That's Athena. One is professional consequences. That's Bobby. And one is him getting fucked up. And that's, <laughs> that's Eddie. Because <laughs> I don't think for a minute that Eddie Diaz would take a punch and not hit back. No, but I mean, he wouldn't have hit Buck if any of those people had been in the room, which no. means he was not out of control. So if it had been witnessed and he wouldn't have done it, it was not a lot of control. Also, the only reason he hit Buck is because he knew Buck wouldn't hit him back. That's right. And he knew Buck probably was Buck, Buck wouldn't make him face any consequences for it. Because there's no re there's no way. So it was both. I think it was a toxic masculinity thing that it's okay to hit guys, but not women, which is the only reason why I can still even tolerate the idea of him with Maddie because I don't actually believe he would hit her. Um, but if he had hit Buck like that in front of any of those other three I mentioned, Athena would have arrested him, Bobby would have fired him, and Eddie would have fucked him up. So he made a choice. I mean, Buck I, would have had to pull Eddie off of him. Yeah. So he made a choice to give in to what he was feeling he was not out of control. It was not justifiable. And the thing, the the thing is, is that the 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 problem, the thing that makes me so angry, is that these people, these stands who are bullying everybody, are justifying this behavior as saying he both hit Buck because Buck kept a secret from him, which is laughable if you've if if you know the canon. Yeah, right. And Adam also Buckley and the audacity of this bitch. Yeah, absolutely. This, <clears throat> the um, the secret isn't even all that clear. It, it seems like the only secret he kept was that he talked to his sister, because I it it's not actually clear how much he knew about the baby's accident. But if also, what I would ask him, hey Jim, how does my thirty-ish year-long relationship with my sister? matter less than you banging her for a couple of years and knocking her up let me know yeah well and the thing is is i when it talks about that there are definitely toxic secrets going on in those relationships but the secret chimney kept and it's mentioned here in the chat and i talk about it in the story is that chimney was helping maddie hide the depth of her ppd so yeah buck didn't know how bad off she was. Which honestly so, makes Chim a real asshole because not only was he hiding how mentally fucked up Maddie was, he wasn't getting her help and he was daily endangering the life of his own child. He was handling the situation by giving her affirmations, basically, by helping her hide it and giving her positive affirmations. You're a good mom. You're going to get better. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, how the fuck is that a solution? Especially when she was having intrusive thoughts. He knows better. Knows better. And the thing is, my, so that scene, when Hen chose to act out violently against a member of his family, it ruined the character for me in canon. Now, how I'm going to handle that in fandom, I don't know. I just don't know. Because I, pref I think I'd prefer to just kind of wipe season five from my mind palace i mean for me chim was already problematic because he's a damn liar and i i, I am aggressively opposed to 
liars. He's guilty of intimate fraud. Um, he slut shamed Buck, acted like Buck's sex life was a problem for him. And that level of insecurity is really deeply off putting for me. I'm like, dude, it's none of your business how much that man gets laid. You need to mind your own. Yeah. He is a very problematic character. But my approach until season five was to kind of, because every character is fucked up in the show. Every character is massively fucked up. And that's been so far, up until season five, it has been one of the strengths of the characterization is that they gave everybody some pretty significant flaws, except for Christopher. Yeah, except Chris, who's a unicorn. Right. Um, he's a national treasure and we will accept no substitute. So I I kind of like hand waved away some of the issues I had with Chimney up until this point. I can from the canon circumstances, I can't get past this. And it just it and the thing is if people want to get past it, I accept their right to get past it. But to say that other people don't have the right to interpret that situation negatively fuck you someone said in the chat room just now chris could go on a murder spree and i'll, I'll excuse it well I, I read that and i thought okay but what they do to him <laughs> right what did you do <laughs> do it well do it well chris be like her um, <laughs> don't get caught <laughs> so all the people who deserve it but anyway, I'm all for people exploring. And the thing is, if people want to write, and if this is one of the things that hasn't happened really yet, is people really exploring the negative side of, oh, to me, chimney shitty behavior. Um, what was really stunning for me was to find out he has a deep history of lying about his job and what he does. The intimate fraud happened in first season. He had a girlfriend who was a adrenaline junkie basically she wanted to date a hot firefighter so he would make up stories and often tell her stories of things that buck did like he did it to turn her on so he could fuck her <laughs> like yep that's weasley <laughs> and they played it off like it was a joke but then we find out that he actually lied to his adopt his surrogate family about his job too because he's so fucking deeply insecure and i'm wondering how the hell buck got stuck with the insecurity when chim is chock full to the fucking brim with it right so much so that he can't even be honest with a woman to get laid star said chim would take bobby's food and buck's experience to get a girl to fuck him yeah yeah he would yeah he would pretend like he could cook and it would be stuff bobby had made he wanted um, to marry her yeah and then had the audacity to look butthurt when he saw her later. Um, and she was pregnant with another man's baby and engaged. I'm looking at myself, maybe she, maybe that dude didn't lie to her. And that was season one chimney. Now the thing is, they kind of, in season two, they kind of reworked chimney a little bit. Like, I don't know, when Maddie came along, they kind of pretended like none of that deeply insecure stuff had happened. But in my opinion, the way he reacts to Maddie and the almost obsessive nature of his attachment to her is a reflection of that insecurity. I think the writers have actually managed. At first, I thought they were being inconsistent with his character, and now I think they're being wildly consistent because yeah. this obsession that he's got with her is more reflective of what we saw in season one. So um, I don't know. They just they really try to make you be sympathetic to his insecurity as opposed to finding it kind of appalling how what he does because of his insecurity. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about 
I mean, I don't think I can write her having a healthy relationship with Chim after, um, after all this. And honestly, I think that if, I mean, Requiem is an, is an AU. It is an alternate universe. I can write Chim any way I want to write him. Um, he's not had a lot of time on screen yet. And so I can kind of play. I just, I don't know. What I do know is that neither Daniel nor buck would tolerate that kind of shit in their sister's life in the requiem verse that would be held to the no because daniel seriously considered having doug kendall killed i actually was wondering if he was dead um not yet okay i mean it was just it was a passing thought i'm like, <laughs> gonna find out that daniel actually did this but you know i mean because requiem is so different you could go any way you wanted with jim um but anyway it it um but anything to me that's kind of canon adjacent it's after what happened in this last episode, I just can't deal with it, especially with the whole vibe in fandom that Buck should be apologizing for what? I mean, cause here's the thing. If Buck had revealed Maddie's secret, Oh, how dare he not keep his sister's confidence? What is wrong with him? How can he be so disloyal to Maddie? But it would have changed nothing. It would have changed nothing because he didn't know anything other than the fact that, and it wasn't even clear he knew that G had been to the hospital. He just knew that she had seen a doctor, apparently. So even if he knew that, how would he, where would he point Chim to? I mean, what would he tell him? Um, the writers, I don't know how much they've got filmed, but I hope they can course correct. Because the writers of the fucking show, or the producers of the fucking show, the 911 Twitter, actually put out and asked fandom if we thought that Buck would forgive I mean, that, that Chim would forgive Buck. I'm like, I had to bitch. leave Twitter alone. Yeah. Bitch, no. That's not the way that works. You don't, the person, I mean, that is such toxic, abusive normalization that I just, I can't even. Buck doesn't owe anybody a damn apology. And frankly, honestly, can I just say that? He didn't owe anybody an apology for that goddamn lawsuit either. It's my fault. He, I made him mad. That's what women of domestic violence say. I shouldn't have made him mad. It's my fault. I didn't do what he wanted. Anyways, we obviously have a soapbox that we will get up on. Yeah, no matter how mad you make somebody, they don't have the right to put their hands on you. And that's why um, if anybody had witnessed that, Chimney could have been arrested because what he did was a crime. Regardless of how emotionally compromised he was. Except we all agree that he wasn't that compromised because he wouldn't have hit anybody else. He wouldn't have. He wouldn't even ball up his fist in Eddie's direction. He hit the one person he could get away with hitting. Which means he wasn't out of control. So the whole justification for Chim was in a bad place and nobody understands it, which is they literally use those words that no, if you haven't been, if you haven't been in those situations, if you haven't been in that situation, you can't judge Chimney's behavior. I'm sorry. That's not the way the law works. Um, it's literally the, like, I can't believe that's like one of the dumbest things I've ever heard anybody say that if you're not in Chimney's situation, you can't judge his behavior. Uh, we judge people all the fucking time for their behavior. There's an entire system in place for that. And prisons to go with it. Which is why if Athena had seen him do that, he could have wound up getting arrested. So, yeah. Oh, don't use the G word, please. Speaking of the G word, I went through my website and removed it and put a tooltip so that if you hover over Diverger in my older HP works, it will tell you why I've changed or what that means so that I didn't have to put the G word. 
And so the only p places on my site where the G word is, is where it's being used as a slur. Nice. You know, um, I can't, I, I found that post pretty easily the last time when they said, well, will Chimney forgive Buck? And I can't find it this time. Well, my Diverger only exists in HP. In my Hobbit story, they're Dwaro. So no clarification was needed. But I really, I'm really at the point now where just seeing the G word is actually starting to trigger me because it is, and it's just because I went through all of that stuff on my site to correct it. And I had no idea how much I'd use the G word until I had to edit practically every single fucking page of Harry Potter work on my site. And I was like, well, I have never, I don't use that other G word for, that's for Romani. Um, and the last time somebody told me that it, that it was only a slur in certain contexts, I told them to go fuck themselves. Because there is no context where the G word that refers to Romani is not a fucking slur. It was actually created to be a fucking slur. Don't come for me. You won't like the results. But oddly, while I was researching the G word because of my Hobbit and Lord of the Rings work, I was reading on the Hobbit wiki and in, I always thought there were two species, the G words and orc. As it comes to find out, the word orc is their language translation of the G word. So G word is English for orc. So they're all orc, no matter where they come from. So whenever you see the word, the G word, it's a slur. Um, well, not necessarily. It's not, in Lord of the Rings, it's just a translation of orc, which means in that case that orc's a slur too. Well, what do you mean? Well, Tolkien says that the translation for orc into English is goblin. Oh, I hate this. I, ugh, I hate even saying it. Um, so if the English translation of the word is a slur, then so is the word orc. So I don't think it's necessarily a slur in Lord of the Rings, as in to say because they're just orcs. Well, well but it, in a way it is because when you have a when you have a species like that that is um, sort Invasive. of pernicious, yeah, um, people refer to them like when you start to use like I mean I could but it's it's it makes sense in the world like yeah I could see somebody being mad and calling somebody a son of an orc you know so in that sense it becomes a slur but it's not it's not a slur in our language and that's the issue is that the g word is a slur in our language I do think I do think the characterizations of orcs <coughs> is in a way a way of and the fact that the orc and G word are used interchangeably is is racist as fuck. The Urukai are a version of orc. They're like a smarter orc. And they come from a different kind of orcs are fallen elves. Elves somehow, have died. Somehow grew out of the ground. Um tortured but... and corrupted and then brought back out of the ground. Um from where they went into the ground or whatever. Um, and the Urukai are a specific kind of orc, I believe. They're like warrior orc, um, as opposed to, you know. but anyway, um, it's interesting that everything dark and ugly on Arda comes from Eru. Maybe he should just keep his shit at home. Yeah. Anyway, do we have anything else on the sniping? We'll climb down, climb down off my 911 site soapbox, although it's tempting to stay up there forever. Well, you know, I think it plays because there's a lot of sniping and gatekeeping 
in the 911 fandom. Um, there's lots of, there used, there's, lots, there's gatekeeping in the Sentinel. There's gatekeeping in Harry Potter. I can't tell you how, and ship wars are like the ultimate form of gatekeeping. And there's a lot of ship wars um, in, uh, in Harry Potter. Uh, I cannot tell you, I literally cannot give you a number of how many emails I've gotten this year for not writing Harmony for my Rough Trade projects. But I went into this year having already plotted all three projects for a Harry Draco series. Um, and in no single way could I have written this particular story as Harry Hermione. It doesn't make any sense. But one reader, and I quote, basically said, if you were going to invest this much time and effort into a Harry Potter story, it should have been Harmony. Like that's any of their fucking business, which you put time and effort into. Right? Suck my dick. I've had a, I've had a few people be a little bent since I got, you know, kind of invested in the 911 fandom that I'm not writing anything Tony Denozo focused. But there's actually a very good reason for that. I'm lucky I found something else to focus on, quite frankly. Because um, we talked about this last year that I kind of hit a wall with um, law enforcement fandoms. And I, almost everything I wrote Tony in was law enforcement based. So it became a really big problem. And 911 works for me because it's, you know, it is procedural still, but it, it's not police for the most part. So I like, I've always liked rescue procedurals. And when I found I liked the show and I liked the characters, I like this is a good fit for me. And it kind of gave me a new place to focus while I was struggling with law enforcement fandoms. So um, I have not given up on writing any of the stories that I was working on with Tony, but people certainly have taken that. Um, I guess, worry on board that I'm never going to write another Tony focus story or something like that. I don't know. I'd like you to take Tony to Atlantis. Tony I'd like needs, to see that. Tony definitely needs to go to Atlantis in a, in a way that doesn't involve another ascension and, you know, with a different partner. Yeah, definitely. Um, you could do mothership on Atlantis. I definitely need. To. I definitely. It's it's been it's been on my to it, like I, my writing to do list is get Steve and. Um, I mean, they drive John nuts, but it would be really great. <laughs> no, I don't think Tony from If Found would ever go to Atlantis permanently. It would no, break his daddy's if, heart. If it was very safe, he might travel there with his family, but he would never go. Yeah, it would. The only way he would go to it would be if Patrick went. <laughs> Yeah, I realized, okay, we're actually, moving to Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, and if found, I did realize because I mean it was one of the options for Tony, but I realized I'd written myself out of that Atlantis option because Tony would never hurt Patrick that way, or Alex would never hurt Patrick that way. Patrick couldn't deal with his um, return son being off planet permanently; that would just kill him. That's the kind of emotional ripples that you don't always account for until you're like, "What you want to do next?" and you're like, oh, "Damn it, I can't do that." Uh, which is which is where I was because when I was at that point in the story where Rodney was talking to Alex about his op his options, I was like, you know, Rodney's kind of talking about Atlantis and and Alex is and I was I was thinking, oh, he can't go to Atlantis. Patrick would croak. So, oh, Steve. Ty See, Ty finds the best pictures. I mean, it's just I have to save that picture. Hold on. There's sprawl too. Really good sprawl. I feel like he's up to something. But you know, I'm I'm on board with it. I feel like he's watching Tony approach. Yeah. I think Ty's the person who, that day we were talking about Buck and his librarian. I think 
Mm. The one who posted the picture that we found so inspiring. I think so too. Sometimes something just sticks out in your brain. There's one in particular that I just absolutely 100% love. Of Elliot? Um, yeah. Hold on. It's that one. Oh, oh. There's something about it. It's just, it's so... <sighs> Buck, Buck, <laughs> Buck deserves that. By the way, y'all, for all y'all who are writing, you know, leaning in or leaning down or whatever, pulling someone down to a kiss, that the height difference between these two would justify a lean down. I'm pretty sure. I thought um, it was Christian Kane. I'm pretty sure he's like 5'7 or 5'8. Oh. But I'm going to double check before I. Um, the other one is um, Christian Kane. He was uh, Elliot on Leverage. He's 5'9. So um, Buck is five inches taller. Which is a little bit more significant in terms of height. Not hugely, though. Because I've, like I said, I've I've banged people who were a full foot shorter than I was. And that's just the I'm going to climb that tree moment. <laughs> Yeah, it's you know, I mean, it can be a little bit uncomfortable in the back when you're when you're standing, but it's not that bad. There was he uh, he was in the librarians. He was on. Le I know him best from Leverage, but he was also on Angel. Thank you, Tim. I'm the original tree. I like that. I will take. I will take it. I've been many a woman who's climbed me, and a few guys too. I, I don't but the longer the the more it goes on, the less I see. The less I see in the fandom. There are a lot of toxic relationships in in, in 911 in canon, um, and it makes me not want Buddy to happen because I feel like if Buck and Eddie got together on the show, the showrunners would ruin it for us. Yeah, although they haven't ruined so far, Bobby and Athena. When when things started to go south in the end of season four, they pulled it back and fixed it. But the previews for the next episode of kind of makes us wonder about what the hell's going on with Athena. So who knows? I'm hoping it's just a nightmare that she didn't actually do it. Yeah, I I feel like I, I I might just have to wipe season five from in my from existence in my mind. I just yeah, they have a really healthy friendship. I just feel like if we they got together that you know I'm I'm gonna I, I had some predictions in the um friend and brouhaha that, that made people mad. So I'll just shut up. <laughs> I, I'll put you I put you in the corner even though it won't do a damn thing. <laughs> you just put me in the corner Hall of Fame. <laughs> I would say you're the founding member of that, but you're not, you're not Lady Holder is. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. But you don't want Nick to have to get drunk because you're predicting again. I think he's already drunk if he's out of tequila. Um, the no, thing I is, just don't I, trust I, him. I, I thought they would fuck it up. They gave us a very satisfying. I mean, if they gave us nothing else. They gave us the very, a very satisfying buddy moment with the whole if anything happens to me I'm giving you my son you know what between the way that Buck rescued Eddie from the sniper and that whole moment about his will as far as I'm concerned it's canon and I can just erase <laughs> season 5 from my they got married my about, they got married erase season 5 from my I am to what a founding member of the, of the Sid Benton Hall of Fame I don't think no. so, Lady Holder. You are. You are I, literally the first member of the Sinbin Hall of Fame. I don't think I've ever been in trouble. I, <laughs> I just, I'm just, I've never even had detention. <laughs> but I actually created the Sinbin Hall of Fame for you. For you. <laughs> oh, look, she says fuck to both of us. At the same time? With what? <laughs> Do you have the right equipment for this? <laughs> it's not for a long time. 
Frog, why don't you have any damn roles? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Frog is just here to socialize listen to the podcast. They're not they're not here for fandom. You know there, there there's a whole bunch of fandom channels, right? And fanfic channels and <laughs> I did, but, boo. And I forget why, but I'm sure you deserved it. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it was the peep porn. It might have been the peep porn. Because the peep porn, we put a lot of people in the sin bin over the peep porn. I woke up one morning and logged into that, and I just, everybody who had been doing it got sin bin. Yes, yes. Oh, ho- oh, boo. Oh, boo. Oh, see, that's you need to go back in the sin bin for even repeating that shit. Anyways, um, Jaletta, you don't want to know. You just think you want to know, but you don't. You, you don't want to know. Um, I think the BDSM peeps were the worst. Okay, yeah, people would make like these like stills with lady like, holder. Baby- that's not bad. <laughs> That's kind of cute, actually. <laughs> All the pink ones are strippers. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Yeah, Jesus that's Christ. the one. <laughs> That's the peep porn. Okay, so I wake up one morning, and I wake up to one of the channels being flooded with peep porn. And I just put everybody who was doing it in the sin bin because they were <laughs> naughty, and they deserved it. <laughs> That was just that was before my coffee, and I was just not prepared. <laughs> Is that a sex swing? There's a peep and a sex swing. <laughs> you know, yes. people who listen to this podcast are going to be like, "What the fuck were they looking at?" We were looking at peeps and sex swings. That's what we were looking at. There's a peep tied to a bondage table with red string. <laughs> There's a peep in a cage, a, like one of those little doggy cages thing. I actually, which I, oh my god, look at look at the look at the green peep in the background there, on like that little upside down wheel. <laughs> I see it. That's great. It's awful. You should all be in the corner forever. Oh look, tribbles. Now that one, Tim. <laughs> Tim, I would take you out of the sin bin for sharing that with me. And I really hate these kind of peeps things. Oh, Nick is glad that he's drunk. I mean, basically, peeps are marshmallows. Sorta. They give. They're stale marshmallows. They're stale, badly made marshmallows, covered in sugar. Don't call it candy. It's just sugar. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you like marshmallows, I I actually find marshmallows fine. I think peeps are disgusting. But my favorite kind of marshmallow is chocolate covered marshmallow. I just like the normal, like jet puffed marshmallows. You know, just the the big ones. Yeah, they're really good. Make s'mores, but. I don't like peeps. I don't think they're they're comparable. But a lot of people say that peeps. That's pretty much right. I once had a friend who likes to eat really stale peeps, and so she opened a package of peeps. Um, she poked holes in it and kept it on her desk for a week, and they were still soft when she went back to get them. They didn't go stale after a week. I think wow. people who say that Twinkies are going to survive the apocalypse got it wrong. Haven't considered um, peeps. That one, yeah. that, the one lady holder posted of the the Sesame Street characters. Whoever did that is brilliant. That looks exactly like Sesame Street. Yeah, that that's really good. I can't and kind of creepy. God. I think so. I think it is just an American thing. I I people who are not from America are always like, "What the hell are peeps?" They're like, "Oh my god, what are peeps?" <laughs> Once we peeps? light it. Peeps are, su- they became such a thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. The Muppets. Sorry, I said Sesame Street, but I it, I meant the Muppets. Um, peeps are such a thing that they came out with, like, Peeps-flavored creamer and Peeps-favored milk and, like, Peeps-popsicles. It, it's just, like, 
Ugh. I I cannot stand peeps. I think they're so disgusting. But there are people love them, and it around Easter time the stores are flooded with these stupid things. Build a bear has peeps. You have gone too far. There are whole YouTube channels of people trying to to destroy a peep. You can put two peeps in a microwave with toothpicks in them, and they'll sword fight. Those peeps are stressing me out. My OCD objects, Lady Holder. Those little speckles. Y'all need to stop. The peeps are freaking me out. Um, but the I feel like we're having that Furbies moment that they had in the. You know when they kept giving Will in that story? They kept yeah. giving Will Furbies. And yeah. I, he thought they were creepy. Yeah. I feel like we're having that moment, but with peeps. Yeah. In the end, the real victim of gatekeeping and idea sniping are writers who leave. When you berate somebody into writing what you want to the point where they write nothing, you are an asshole. When you are so concerned about a fictional character's trauma that you traumatize and abuse a real person. You are an asshole. It is so far beyond asshole. I mean, when you phrase it that way, it just hit me really hard. So obsessed and so concerned and so fetishizing a fictional character's abuse that you abuse a real person. That is disgusting. It you- is. That you and become an doing. abuser. And that is what they're doing. Because some of the things they have said to people definitely crosses the line to verbal. Wishing, telling somebody in private messages, which I've seen the screenshots, that you hope that they're abused someday so that you can under, so that they can understand how this character feels is gross. It is disgusting. And honestly, people who do this, there's, you're irredeemable. I don't want your jerk off face in my space. I don't want, I I just don't want you here. I don't want you on my server. I don't want you on my site. I don't want you reading my stuff. I don't want you reading my friend's stuff. You leave all of our stuff alone. We don't like you. I don't even want you. The thing is, they probably have read some of their stuff that's Maddie and Chimney favorable. I I don't want them to. I think, I, I mean, ugh, ugh. That's right, Lady Holder. I don't like you. I don't like your jerk off behavior. Not Lady Holder, but you know, just in general, that's the quote from the Big Lebowski. I don't like your jerk off name. I don't like your jerk off face. I don't like your jerk off behavior. And I don't like you, jerk off. I'm pretty sure I fucked that all up. But (laughs) the behavior, because you're right, the victim is the people who get, who take their stories down or who, um, like the people, there's somebody who really wants to hear from the people who like their story, you know? Um, but they have to turn off commenting because they can't take the abuse anymore. That's appalling. Like they're leaving the story up, but they have to, and AO3 now allows you to turn off commenting. But people are having to turn off commenting completely because they can't take the abuse from these people. Oh, I didn't know that. I can put my meta and tag every all, all the pairings and characters in 911 and just land blast the whole damn fandom and not allow them to comment on it. Of course, they would come right. to my site, but I moderate my site too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I went to one of the stories someone was having a hard time with. They um, um, turned off commenting. It's the first time I've seen somebody turn off commenting. And I was actually really impressed that they did that. that they hit their limit and went, nope, no more. Um, there are people, like one of the people who um, is on this list of people being targeted by these gatekeepers um, does that, uh, Tim, is they only check their email when they're in the right frame of mind to handle what they might find. So 
you know, and I, I used to do that when I was on AO3 is I would, I would have my comments filtered to a folder and I would, uh, in my email, and I would only look at it when I was in a frame of mind to deal with something potentially negative. And some days there was nothing negative, but some days it was like, oh my God. So there are ways of handling it. Some people are doing these things to help them get by and get through this. But the bottom line is these people who are fetishizing a fictional character's abuse, and that is, that is what it is. They are fetishizing her abuse. Apology um, accepted, damn. <laughs> right? But they are they are going out, and they claim that their reason for loving her so much is because they've experienced abuse, which, you know, that's really hard to believe. And I don't ever want to doubt somebody's story, but it's hard to believe that these people have experienced that kind of thing when they're out there abusing other people. And posting all those abusive images online. I'll tell you something. I am a survivor of a profoundly violent crime. We're talking broken shoulder, collarbone, dislocated hip. I'm not, I'm not going to say any more. I won't trigger anybody. I do not watch violence. Cartoon violence, yes. Over the top, like Matrix shit, fine. Um, Seeing other people get beat to shit? No. I had to fast forward through most of the episode of 911 where Maddie was kidnapped by her husband. Yeah. If was... you've experienced that level of physical violence, you don't seek it out in your media. Yeah. And you don't glorify it by posting gift sets of the violent scenes, not just stills, but actual gifts of the violence happening. Now, see, before I had therapy, I could barely even say it. Yeah. Therapy is the reason I can speak of it. I ha I went I'm not saying that all victims are the same, but even decades later, after more than one therapist, I still cannot watch or read interpersonal violence or sexual violence. Yeah, so the idea that it, 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 it is foreign to me, because I have been around a lot of women, and, and men too, actually, who have been the victims of violence. We used to have um, a, an open bedroom and we worked with one of the local women's shelters and women who needed a place to stay while they were trying to sort out their while they were leaving their husbands would come and stay in our bedroom and I have never in all the times in my own experiences with violence in my family's experience with violence and with those women who would come and stay in our apartment and live with us for a short period of time I have never experienced people who reveled in violent images of abuse like that I, i've just dedicated a whole fucking tumbler to it it's just it's just very foreign to me and i don't understand it so but the thing is i mean my general philosophy is you don't owe anybody your story you don't owe anybody your tale you don't know you don't have to justify your interpretation of an abused character by explaining your abuse you don't have to be have gone through abuse to to write an abused character be, that is abused in canon. These people have no right to demand that of... Someone in the chat room said it's like torture porn. It is exactly like torture porn. Except it's domestic violence porn. And it's... And that is some next level shit. That is some... Ah. What is wrong with so, you? <laughs> and so then they go out and they <laughs> verbally abuse real people over a fictional character. And that is just disgusting just putting all the pretty up here i appreciate it it's very pretty yeah and she was 100 percent right you don't owe anybody your trauma 
you don't owe anybody any explanations. Um, and if I could have like fandom acknowledge one thing, it would be that no one has to set them on fire to set themselves on fire to keep them warm. Like all these writers who are being abused by this tiny group of asshole people, um, these assholes want you to set yourself on fire to keep them warm. They want you to be miserable and hurt because you're not meeting their expectations for domestic violence porn. And even if you shared your tale of abuse with them and your experience of abuse with them, they wouldn't find it valid. So don't, don't do that. You don't owe them that experience. You don't owe them that intimacy. They've not <coughs> earned that from you with the abuse that they're putting you through. And one of the things all we can really do with these people is just wait them out. And possibly overwhelm them with fic that offends them because it makes me want to write more fic that pisses them off. I mean, how do you do that direct link thing that's not a bookmark? Because I feel like I need to do that. <laughs> just, I'm going to go over here on AO3 and bookmark all my shit. You can link to an external work, right? Not a bookmark, but a link to an external work. I'm not 100% because I've seen, I know there's some links um, to external work on my site, but I just keep posting images of McGarrett that I don't actually have. Right? You have to save them. I know. It's like, I'm gonna, it's a good thing I got a lot of space on my tablet. Import from import from an existing URL instead? I don't want to import. No. I don't want to create a bookmark either. Um, not bookmark external work. That's not quite what I... I thought there was a way to create... That way it shows up in the f list of fix for a fandom. Bookmarks won't show up in, a list of, in, the, in the fandom list. I have seen it done in collections. But w Was that a bookmark? I think so. So new work or import work. I'm not going to import my shit. That's just no need for that. But, you know, just... it. Just acknowledge that people are going to try to put their wishes desires and experiences on you and you don't owe them that you don't owe them a damn thing and that's the fucking truth i mean you just you really literally don't owe them anything you don't owe them an explanation you don't owe them the pairing they want you don't owe them the story that you want they want you don't owe them a sequel you don't you don't owe them a single fucking thing no, you don't even, you see, the thing is, you don't even owe them your attention. You don't, and they expect your attention. They expect you to be upset. They expect you to cry about it and be upset. Just delete, just delete it, delete their shit and move on. Because they, they, they are literally worth nothing. Just remember the three F's. If they don't fuck you, feed you, or finance you, they get zero opinion. And even if somebody is fucking you, feeding you, and financing you, you can listen to their opinion or not. It just depends on how well they fuck you, to be honest. Yeah, just, just because they get an opinion doesn't mean they get the final say. <coughs> I'm a pretty crier. I am an ugly crier. It is awful. My eyes puff up. My nose gets runny. It's awful. I just It's, it, it's not cute. Yeah, I get very red and very very congested. It's it's not good. Anyway, I feel like that, you know, I'm torn between writing a bunch of pointed because I have I have I have trope bingo, and I've got um, this other thing. I've got my nine one one bingo, and I'm t I'm torn about posting you know a fair bit of very pointed, um, salty stories to fill those prompts. Um, 
Because I'm not going to let a bunch of bullies tell me what to do. Which will be evident with what I post tomorrow. The only thing I'm seeing is bookmarks. Yeah, I think it must be bookmarks. That or what I'm thinking of was removed. I'm not sure. Well, Richard Anderson is such a baby in that picture. Oh my god. Yeah, I feel like a dirty old lady. Anyway, I know we have a few, a fair number of people in the on the podcast sitting here right now, um, who are being targeted by these gatekeepers, cyber bullies. Um, you know, I applaud you guys for you know figuring out how to get through this and not letting it. I mean, at least not at a macro level run you off of the fandom it might be influencing your love of the fandom right now it's certainly influencing my love of the fandom right now i'm not being targeted but i am keeping up on what's going on and it's really making me angry so it's making it hard to enjoy writing in the fandom it it can be really upsetting um to have people come at you for doing something you enjoy yeah i (sighs) Like when I first the when I posted the first part of Ties at Bind, the very first comment I got was, "Well, I'm not going to read this shit," and it has stuck in my head for almost a decade. Ever how long it's been? The very first comment I got on Ties at Bind, and at the time I only allowed members to comment. So this was a member of my site, but no, they specifically came to my site to tell me they weren't going to read it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you yeah. read my work and you can suck my dick. <laughs> no, nobody's a member now. I had to dump my member database because um, my database got too big and it was corrupting it. So I had to dump my members to keep my content. I figured everybody would be okay with that. <laughs> but I do think that some people are of the opinion that if they tell you, oh, I'm not going to read this, that you will try to find something to write that they will read, which is some stone-cold, arrogant shit. Because I don't think about you when I'm writing. I think about me. Me, me, me. It's all about me. That might as well be the title of the podcast. (laughs) Well, my whole podcast is called Kira's World. (laughs) Which I'm told is arrogant. That I have a podcast at all. Oh, whatever. What she said. Oh, you have a podcast. You have a website. You have a challenge site. You have a Big Bang site. And I'm like, that Big Bang site's Jilly's. But I am hosting it. Um, you have a YouTube channel. And you have a Twitch. <laughs> and apparently the Twitch bothered her the most. And I'm like, fuck you. I like to play The Sims sometime. <laughs> I'll play some Sims tomorrow. I don't know. People are so weird. They get so invested in things that are just none of their fucking business. But I have been told I waste my time and I should be writing. Like time that I should be writing that I'm not writing is a waste. And I'm like, hold on. Let me go down to this goals thing so I can tell you how much I've written this year. I did the goals thing because I was writing an article about the tiny goal. Um, I have written 562,155 words this year. I've been productive as fuck. Yes, you have. Um. So if I want to spend three hours playing The Sims, I will. And you can suck my Sims dick. All of them. She's got a whole house full of dick you can suck. (laughs) It's retired dick. I got retired dick and current dick. Which is exactly how I'm going to refer to it next time I play that online. It's going to be awful. Uh, It's a good thing Twitch doesn't make me have have a child-friendly channel. I am the target audience for my fic. That's the whole point. I started writing fanfic, but I couldn't find what I wanted. 
when I started writing what might have been, I wanted to write a series where Rodney never went to Atlantis. And I was having a hard time finding that that really met the burden of what I wanted. Now, I'd read some really cool things like uh, Fair Trade, um, A Farm in Iowa, um, the Nantucket series. Uh, but I wanted to read a story where he was a part of the SGC. Uh, John had gone to Atlantis. And I just wasn't finding that in the fandoms. I wrote it for myself. And I shared it with you guys. As one does. Tim, I have seen the the mod you're talking about. And there are a couple of mods. Um, one is called Wicked Whims. And you can put it in your game. And it will give you skins that will add sexual content to your Sims game. Um, it will... You can... Um, have full frontal nudity and actual sex acts in your game with these mods. Yes. They, they've been doing that Sim Sim one. <laughs> Cause normally the Sims are very, it's, it's very vague. It's, it's not quite fade to black, but it's pretty damn close. I mean, they get under the covers and hearts fly around the air and they have a little romantic song, you know, and then Kira retires them to the former Dick house. Right. <laughs> The retired dick house. <clears throat> Anyways, if you're interested, I do have a whole book collection of uh, st of videos on YouTube where I did VODs for um, the 100 Baby Challenge that I'm doing. I think I'm on Baby 29 or Baby 30. I have my notebook. I'm prepared to pick it up at any day. But I think I need to update my game. Um, do any of you have any questions about idea sniping or gatekeeping? We're going to do a big article on gatekeeping and then do a discussion on Just Right. So if you're not a member of Just Right, you definitely need to join for that. Um, okay, yeah, Tim. Tim, if you go to my site at the top of the page, I have my Twitch links and my YouTube links. Good night, Lady Holder. Night, la night Lady Holder. Tim is typing a question for us. Okay. Night, Rabby. How do you feel about people who didn't realize they were committing assholery? Like, oh, I just learned that some bullshit. I've been doing it forever. That's the question. Um, I put that thing you asked for in our share. Um, <clears throat> oh, already? Wow, thank you. Well, it's just a zip file. Okay. <laughs> I figured. I don't have an MP3 or anything. Um, sometimes I've had readers come back to me years after the fact and apologize for asking for more. And a lot of times you pick up bad habits in fandom that you don't even know are bad habits because you see everybody else doing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, when I came into fandom, I was basically trained a certain way about how to post, how to ask for comments, um, and how to comment, you know? Um, and when I think back on, you know, how I, some of the comments I used to leave on people's stories, it's not, it wasn't really cringeworthy, but in the sense of oh my god it was awful but it's not anything i would say now um might it was probably possibly edging towards inappropriate in some cases because there was this vibe of like you should always tell people you want more or you should always ask them to post another story or there was like this tone of like you should i remember somebody explicitly telling me at one point that you should always let the author know if you that you're invested in their work by telling them you want them to write more in this in the story um it sounds good on the surface, but it's it's ugly in application. But when I was first told these things, um, I didn't realize that, you know. Um, so, you know, it's just like when I was first started posting in fandom, I was told you should never post the whole story. You should post your, you know, chapter. Because I wrote big stories even from the jump. And I was told I should be posting like a chapter every week. Which I was like, but the whole thing's done. Why would I hold on to it? 
well, you're going to get less comments if you post the whole thing. I'm like, but okay. You know, and so I felt like there were things I was supposed to do. So I recognize that people are, are basically trained by their, by their interaction and their first experience with the fandom about how to behave. And I, I don't hold that against anybody, you know, what, what you used to do, just, you just got to move on, you know? But there is a difference between, you can tell, honestly, I can tell when someone is just excited and when someone is being a malicious dick, there's a tone, there's a, a language being used. Um, and more often than not, if you have sat out in the past to hurt somebody, you're an asshole. And you need to work on that. But if you've never set out to hurt somebody and done it inadvertently, that's entirely possible that it happened. Um, you just move on from it. And if you come across a situation where you can offer them an apology, do so. I mean, so we all make mistakes, right? No one's yeah. perfect. No one should be perfect. And but someone, and someone pointed out kind of in the chat that fanfiction.net, if if that was your main ex main introduction to fandom, they have a very toxic comment culture over there and if, oh God. if that's the way you were taught to comment is the way fanfiction.net comments you might have had some really bad habits to unlearn um, but I think even somebody who has some bad habits about commenting who said some things that maybe they shouldn't have said or whatever or who were overly critical or whatever it, probably people, people who are not abusive don't tend to be abusive so you know I just, for me the more isn't pressure, the more is like if I put out a hundred K, I mean I put out little stories, but I also put out between twenty-five and a hundred K sometimes in these big ass stories. Um, my two quantum bangs were basically two hundred and thirty K last year total. Um, I put out that much work. It took me six or seven months through zero draft, uh, through a, a full draft process, and the the first thing I see is I want more. Are you fucking kidding? Do you think I pulled this giant this uh, this entire fucking novel out of my ass? So that's where I have the problem with more. <laughs> I'm like, man, fuck you. The, the, I just wrote my ass off. When somebody just gives the comment of just more, um, when you've just posted, it's so frustrating. And that was one of the first comments I got on Emergence when I posted it. Was more. It just just that word M O A R, which is worse than M O R E, by the way. But I don't, there, there are ways to tell people you're invested in the story and that you want more without saying, I want more. You can say, um, this was really good. If you ever revisit this verse, I will be first in line to read it. That's saying basically the same thing without being demanding. And, you know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, if, if you have to have the language that nuanced, it's just too much work to comment, then just say thanks. Or don't comment. I know some people put a lot of value in their commenting. And they get bent when I say they don't have to comment. But it is 100% the truth. You should listen to Zomper's mom. If you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. Nothing at all. It's just, it's, it's just common sense. And I would rather see thank you as a comment than a full paragraph of somebody telling me all the things that they wish I'd done with my fic. Just saying. Um, if, so if you're wondering about like bad fandom etiquette as a writer, um, it is possible that you could be doing some things that I would consider really bad etiquette just because it seems like everybody does it, which is things like 
blackmailing um, readers for like, um, I'm not going to post the next chapter until I get 50 more kudos and 10 comments. I will nope out of a story so fast when I see a, a thing like that. But the thing is, I recognize that that some authors aren't doing that kind of crappy thing out of from an obnoxious place. They've been told that this is the way they should do it to get more comments. Somebody has basically indoctrinated them into that way of thinking. And that's what I would consider bad writer etiquette is things like that. Other bad writer etiquette is abusing author notes in my this is just my opinion like with you know because author notes to me should be telling your reader something they need to know about the story not giving them an update on your cat's you know colon surgery i mean i've seen people go on for literally thousands of words about the updates on their life and their author notes and buried in there somewhere something critical about the story i would call that bad etiquette um yeah, uh, somebody else mentioned emotional blackmail of complaining online that they're going to remove their stuff and never write again because they don't get enough engagement from their readers. Um, that kind of thing is, like, to me, bad writer behavior. Um, but I can't imagine you doing that. And if you have done something like that in the past, I'm certain it was out of ignorance. So, you know, anything you do out of ignorance is, is one of those things that's usually forgivable. It's it's the things you do deliberately that are harder for people to deal with. Um as an author, if you're trying not to be a dick, just post your work, be genuine about it, and you can't seek, if you're seeking validation from strangers about your creative efforts, you're going to be doomed to be miserable. I, you need to find happiness and, and validation in the fact that you created it, and everything else is just cake. Uh, also, there's a thing on AO3 that needs to be discussed, and that is abusing the site's metric by over tagging tagging pairings don't actually even appear in your fic or characters who don't appear in your fic commenting on every single comment you get to double your comments so your fic looks more popular um y'all i mean there's an author who only writes lone star who every fic they write they also tag for 911 because 911 has a bigger audience and they're trying to get the 911 readers to click on their story that's some next level bullshit there's not a single 911 character in any of their fic well, write yourself somebody and get over it <laughs> we'll be here for it yeah over tagging characters who aren't in the story so you think that the characters in the story and they're not um but that stuff is minor if you're doing it out of ignorance. But if you're doing it to try to game the system, there are some authors who put, you know, unrelated fix in a single monster story that will have, you know, 200 fandoms. because And each story is different fandom and each story is unrelated to each other. And they put them all into one fic. Even though the, and, and make each chapter a different fic to game the, the algorithm. Now, other writers see this and they do the same thing out of ignorance, not to game the algorithm, because they think, oh, it makes sense to just add new chapters for these short stories rather than put separate stories. But some people are doing it to game the algorithm. And yeah, that's bullshit. And so it, they're the most it, popular fic in NCIS or the most popular fic in Teen Wolf or whatever. Um, I'll, I'm going to be for real for you. Um, I do not have time to respond to every comment I get. Not only do I not have time for it, I would never want my readers to expect it. 
And if you start out doing it, they're going to expect you to keep doing it. Whether it's like two years from now, six years from now, eight years from now. I've been a fan since 2008. If I had been responding to everybody's comments the whole time, I don't know how productive I would actually be. And honestly, honestly, it would have gotten really fucking exhausting. Yeah, I used to, when I first was posting on AO3, I had it in my head that I had to respond to every comment um, when I was writing Emergence. I, I would get so exhausted from responding to comments. And this sounds like, oh, I got so many comments that it was tiring to respond to everyone, which sounds like a big pity party. But the, And I don't mean it, it but that it's way. True. But I wasn't writing because I was responding to comments. It was like sucking my creative energy out, which is not what I think anybody would want. Based upon my stats, I respond to about one-seventh, maybe one-eighth of my... Um, okay, so I have 27,413 comments on my site, of which 1,848 are mine. So if you... I responded to all 27, 26,000 comments, y'all... So you're responding to... Uh, I'm responding between like an eighth and a tenth of my comments, and you're responding to about half that. So I respond about twice as much as you do, but it's still not very frequent. And most of the time I respond if somebody's had a very emotional reaction to my work and I think that they need a little something from me or if they ask a question that intrigues me. But for the most part, I, I don't. Yeah, because then it's like when you comment to somebody, they comment back. And all of a sudden I've got 75,000 comments on my site of which only 27,000 are actual feedback. Yeah. See, the thing is, I got, I got tagged on Facebook one day from by somebody who said, this is after I'd posted one of my longer works. I want to say maybe de novo. And um, they commented I hadn't responded. And they said, you know, the courtesy of at least a thanks. You know, if I've taken the time to respond to you, you could at least give me the courtesy of, of a thanks. And um, I was like, and that's when I had that whole conversation about, do you think that because I wrote 60,000 words and you said, thank you, that we're now equal in some fashion. And I was really irritated that I was called out for the, not responding with a thanks. Now, what's interesting is conversely, somebody just posted in the chat room, and it's up to them if they want me to mention them by name, but that they got a comment that they tend to respond to all of their comments with thanks or thank you or whatever. And they got a comment saying, I had told myself I wasn't going to comment on your stories anymore because the obligatory thanks just doesn't do it for me. There is no fucking pleasing people. <laughs> so the next time someone comments on your shit, that person in particular, tell them to kiss my ass. Like literally yeah. my ass. That was Dark Jedi Queen. She said I could mention her name. Um, and yeah, she does tell her to kiss my ass. Yeah. I mean, that is some next level bullshit when an author, first people bitch because an author doesn't respond and then they bitch that the thanks or thank you is too obligatory. So they're not going to comment anymore. I've had people tell me they're not going to comment on my stuff anymore because I don't respond. I do respond to, I can't tell you what sparks me to respond to a comment. Sometimes, sometimes somebody makes me laugh and I say something. Sometimes somebody, I did respond to a fair number of the people one of my stories deal with some stuff that happened around 911, which is not not 911, not 911, 9/11, and um, it's not something I normally write about. And there were several people who had some pretty intense emotional reactions, and we did have 
some more responses on that particular story, which is a little unusual for me, the proportion of responses. Also, sometimes if I do something that's a little, for me, feels a little riskier, I will have a higher percentage on that particular story of comment replies because I guess I'm feeling my way and I'm feeling people less than people out a little bit. I think I had a higher percentage of comment replies on the dark road because I had never written anything in fandom that was OC centric. It felt weird. It's also very daunting. It's, it's like, ooh. I posted it. My like, people are going to hate this. Um, and so I was a little bit more engaged in my comment section because I was feeling really insecure. <laughs> but a lot of times I don't even check my email about my comments for days if I'm busy or whatever. So actually, Becca, I think that I would probably start responding to their comments with obligatory thanks. Like, be super literal. Here's your obligatory thanks. <laughs> Since that's what they are objecting to. Obligatory things. But I, I just don't. Um, when I respond to, when I comment on story, I don't expect to hear back from the author. You know, it's not something I expect. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. They sometimes they reply, sometimes they don't. But I think as an author, having any expectation of your readers other than that they be courteous is kind of, you know, I mean, I love to hear from my readers. I do, but. I did try not to have expectations of them. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, some people you can interpret their bizarre comments like a, just a string of exclamation points or some bizarre emojis that nobody else will be able to understand because you know those people. Um, but in terms of like author behavior that is assholeish, I think the biggest thing is things like trying to gain the AO3 system for stats, being overly invested in validation from things like hits. And um, I mean, I've seen people do crazy things like because it starts, it'll recount your hits after X number of days. So like X amount of time, it's not counting a new hit on a story from your IP address. And people will go back and go through their own stories after X number of days so they get more hits on those stories. It's like every few days they're loading up all their stories to increase their hit count. Like, who has the time for that shit? <sighs> so, I mean, to me, that's the kind of stuff that is like really, it's, it's, it's not that, that specific behavior. It's the investment in validation from stats, like hits. I mean, who, I don't even look at the hit count. I mean, I see people talking about how pissed off they are about the hit count of stories on Tumblr. Like, did you see how many hits that story's got? I'm like, who looks at the hits? I don't even organize by hits, but I can't be trusted. But I'll tell you something that's the truth. You guys have shitty taste. <laughs> right? And before I say anything else fucked up, it'll be recorded. Let's it let's end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sometimes like the most popular fic in the fandom is like, what? It's like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, because it has... Christopher in one of my fix. What the actual, actual fuck, Daddy? Fuck Daddy. <laughs> she has a story. The first time I read it, I was like, Christopher <laughs> says, what the actual fuck, Daddy? I said, we need to find a reason for Christopher to say, what the actual fuck, Daddy, in every story from now on. <laughs> or, or to somebody else. Let's just, like, just have it pop out of his mouth. And they're all like, should we tell Eddie? <laughs> like, no, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> We're not telling anybody. <laughs> anyways i need some tea but i'm i'm still game to chat but I, I need some tea um i hope that in fandom that you continue to cultivate safe places for you and your work it is perfectly okay to have boundaries 
it is perfectly okay to police those boundaries. You are not required to give anybody space in your head. And that was a lesson it took me a long time to learn. And so that's what I, I hope you guys get out of um, the experiences that you have in fandom that, um, that throughout your life, you're allowed boundaries and you're allowed to police those boundaries. And absolutely no one can tell you otherwise. <coughs> Anyways, Jilly. Yeah. Just take care of yourself out there. I mean, if, if you can weather the bullies and we'll get through this, but if it's too much, there's a few ways you can retreat. And one of them is to turn off comments Come here, talk to us. But if you need to take your story down, take your story down. Do what you got to do. Take care of you. Because mm-hmm. in reality, nobody else is. They don't care about you at all. They may try to gaslight you and pretend like some of this is for your own benefit, but it's not. So you do what's best for you. And um, try not to be an asshole in the process. <laughs> Except to the bullies. Go ahead, be, be, be an asshole to the bullies all you want. We'll, we'll help. Be the best asshole you can be. Throw those digital hands. Only digital. We don't believe in interpersonal violence or just violence in general. Self-defense is okay. Anyways, say goodnight, Julie.